everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. I've got the full usual crew here today. With me, I've got Josh Torres. Hi, there's a FF16 PAX stream panel as we're recording, so that'll be in the background for me. Yep, we are starting this literally scheduled at the same time as the PAX East FF16 panel. So we might have breaking news, even though by the time you listen to this, it won't be breaking news. But you know what I mean. Uh, also joining me, we have Adam Vitali. Hello. We have James Galizio. Hey, folks. And we have Chow Min Wu. How's it going? I say breaking news for Final Fantasy 16, but I don't really know what that would be because we've already got the release date. A demo? We've already... Uh, that would be, yeah, that, that's a good point. That would be the uh, one thing. It's either a, a demo, a delay, or it's canceled. <laughs> yeah. canceling the game. <laughs> I hear the Windows error noise in the background. It tells you something's happening. Uh-oh. Well, I, I didn't hear it on my end, so that's... I didn't hear it, but yeah, I think that's, uh, <laughs> that's a not... skill issue, Chow. <laughs> Damn, skill, skill issue now? Yeah, yeah I mean, but yeah. Uh, Go ahead. It, it's only for Chow. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. what to tell you. Yep, so we are recording this at the same time as we speak into the microphone as the PAX East FS16 panel. So we might interrupt ourselves if something exciting comes out of that. Though, of course, by the time you listen to this, Adam will likely already have a headline up on the site if something were to happen. Uh, but of course, uh, we are just going to go on with some of the news of the week and the games we've been playing. Uh, also, I guess I will shout out that uh, Scott White, who is a contributor to the site, is actually at PAX East. Uh, so over the next couple of weeks, not only is he attending the Final Fantasy 16 panel, but he might uh, be previewing some other games and be potentially writing up a few things on that. I know he mentioned uh, he was, I believe it was Scott, was looking at that League of Legends Mage Seeker game, the one that's coming out next month, uh, and has uh, got the vibes of Hyperlight Drifter. So he, I think he was able to go hands-on on that. So PAX East is underway, and we're not quite sure everything that's going to come out of that just quite yet, but we will know uh, pretty soon. So obviously, we're wrapping up March and going into April. Uh, April gives us a little bit of a reprieve. It seems like compared to January, February, March, April is a little bit lighter, though it has filled up a bit with some intriguing titles. And then especially May, especially as we go into some of the newer release dates that were announced this this week, uh, May is starting to get pretty packed. Not that it wasn't already, but it's seeming like uh, there's you know no rest for the wicked. There's a lot of games coming out in the next couple of months uh, that are exciting to RPG fans and just us in general. Uh, as for this week, the game that is basically the big release uh, for our site's coverage for late March is, of course, uh, Atelier Rise of Three. This game was originally slated to release in late February, got delayed about a month, uh, just uh, came out on the 24th. Do I have that right? So as a time of recording, it had uh, just come out or do I have that in my day or so? No, off? you got it right. Oh, sweet. It yeah, came out like I, I, just yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. yeah, at the time of recording. Like 10 minutes of it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So uh, so Nathan Lee on the site is going to be covering that game, but it is apparently quite long, so they don't have their review quite ready just yet. But uh, we have James here on the podcast with us, of course, who has also been able to look at Rise of 3 and, of course, has been a primary source of coverage for Rise of 1 and 2 when those two games had come out. Well, so we're gonna... Rise of 2. I did not uh, cover Rise of 1. Oh, who did cover Rise of 1? Uh, I that think also... that was uh, Chris. Uh they went by uh, Liz. When, oh yeah, yeah. So that was uh, so that was Chris uh, back in 2019, and then you covered Rise of Two, and Nathan covering Rise of Three. So a lot of Atelier fans here on the site, and we are going to start off our discussion here with Rise of Three uh, by handing the uh, the microphone over to James to talk about their time with it. So when I reviewed Rise of Two, my main like takeaway 
uh, I'm not sure if folks remember this, was that I thought it was like really like genuinely impressive for uh, how like I guess if you're not familiar with the Atelier series and how Gus kind of handles things, they are a production facility when it comes to RPGs. They will release like multiple games a year. Like even this year, they're releasing the Atelier uh, Atelier Maria remake in just a few months. And last year they did uh, Sophie 2 and uh, Blue Reflection. Uh, was it Ty? I think. Uh, uh, Chow is our yeah, local we- Blue Reflection player. Uh, super fan yeah was that was was, was, was tied the true? console sequel or was that sun i think it was tie i think i, I think I, th- I think i think sun was the is the mobile game i think it was think, yeah yeah ties okay. console yeah yeah you know i i actually did boot up atelier riser free for like 10 minutes showing it to a friend and we were like holy shit she runs faster than ever before. I've never seen a game where, where Atelier, where you run so fast. Chow, did you play yeah. uh, 1 and 2? Uh, yes. Oh, so I didn't actually know that. It's like, I, I actually play most Atelier game except for the Dawn Saga. Is it, is it the Dusk? I think it's Dusk. Sorry. Dusk, I, yeah. I, I don't keep them straight. Uh, you should, you the... should play the Dusk series. It's really good. Yeah, I, I, like, I think that's one that kind of like, kind of like tone down the deadlines because a lot of the people that play the Arlen games, there's a very strict deadline and people didn't yeah. really like that, right? Um, um kind of getting off topic, I guess. Uh but yeah, Rise like the main takeaway I had with Rise of Two was that it was really impressive, like just the like increase in scope and uh production values that game had and like just how much of an upgrade it was versus Rise Rise of One when it came out just about a year later. So my takeaway was, man, I'd love to see what they could do if they gave Rise of 3 like an extra year of development time. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Even a bit longer than that, too, because I think it came out in Japan in like late 2020, uh, Rise of 2 did. So they basically got a little less than uh, two and a half years to get Rise of 3 out, which sounds short. And I guess it is. But as far as Gust is concerned, that's a massive like uh, like. uh development timeline for them i mean they've been just outputting a lot of stuff recently just i didn't realize gus had gotten so so big i suppose well they've always kind of been like that uh, mm-hmm. it just used to be most of the time they would like release a, an atelier game on ps3 and then they released the plus version on vita and there, there would kind of be like a cadence like that so they'd be double dipping and whatnot that is the nice but, thing uh, about ryza is that they're it's apparently just a complete package no no rise of plus or i but it'd be interesting though to see like at what point they'll revisit it for a trilogy set but let's speak specifically about rise of three so obviously rise of three i presume for this is the first game in the whole series the whole atelier series that has we've had direct sequels especially with like sophie two a few years ago but this is the third time this is the only time correctly correct me if i'm wrong where we've had the same protagonist for three games Yes. Um, usually the way Atelier works in general is that they'll have like trilogies, uh, though that's kind of been muddled lately with uh, uh, fourth games for Arland and uh, obviously Sophie 2 being like a fourth game for the uh, mysterious uh, trilogy. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, generally the Atelier series has been self-contained trilogies with different protagonists for each games, even if the protagonists from other ones like will show up in later uh, games in that trilogy. Mm-hmm. Ryza 
was the first game in a long time to buck that trend with Rise of Two. And then Rise of Three is just straight up the only time we've had an Atelier protagonist uh, be around for three games in a row, which uh, recently, like just in the last couple of days, we got an interview where it's like state where they stated, yeah, they had all they'd always planned on Rise of Two happening, but uh, it was the success of Rise of One that, that kind of gave them the opportunity to be like, OK, let's make this a full trilogy with her. Which I'm sure the sales helped with that. Now, which, I'm going to ask uh, an obvious question, but I'm just going to ask it just to be absolutely clear. The Rise of One, Two and Three, I presume they are direct sequels and it is strongly recommended that you play them in order. Yes. And not jump in on either two or three right away. Yeah, I mean, like the Atelier series has never really been too much of a story focus. Like uh, Rise has a story, but it's very much uh, lower key as the series mm-hmm. has always been. But even then, like like Ryza does have a bit of a stronger story than previous entries, but it's still like a thing where just. The Atelier series has never been about the stories. It's been about the vibes. It's been about the crafting. It's been about uh, Atelier is about the vibes. I like I just like that as a as a just like a motto. Uh, Would you agree, Chow? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I don't know. It's like if you use a comparison Mm. from like older games, it's just like kind of like a slice of life game being made. You know, you just kind of play ticking it very comfy, you know, at least that's how I see most of the games. Not about the big overall story. They always throw some kind of fret, but that's not the big issue, really. You know, yeah, I'd say the Atelier game I've played that had more like the biggest focus on story was actually uh, Aisha, the first uh, Mm -hmm. Dust Trilogy game. And even then, it wasn't really so much a major story. It was just like a. It was very much like world building and it had like a tone it's like like the dust series as a whole was very melancholy. But like uh, the first one, Aisha, was uh, definitely the strongest in that regard. But uh, so, so, yeah, Rise of us up on Rise of Three a bit. So I know whenever you're talking about the third game in a trilogy, I know that can be kind of difficult to, to, to try to approach because you're really only interested truly if you've already played the first two. And if you've invested that much, you kind of already know whether you're interested in a third or not, I would feel. So like approaching Rise of Three from the perspective of having played one and two, does it like, what does it shake up? What does it keep the same? Why should we, why should you be excited in a third, in a third game in the series? All those questions. So so Rise of Two, um improved upon rise of one in a lot of ways it really kind of um polished up the rise of formula it made crafting a lot better it made gathering materials a hell of a lot better like with uh changes to how you could like kind of through the uh tool wheel just like have a quick and easy like uh preview of what each of your gathering tools would be able to gather from a specific like gathering point and that's not changed. Like, like pretty much all of the quality of life features that Rise of Two added have been brought over to Rise of Three. The main change with Rise of Three is that it's almost open world. <laughs> like, yeah, I remember, uh, it's I remember not, you touched on that in the preview a little bit, but yeah, go on. Like, it really makes it apparent from the get go. Where so there's four regions in the game, and each region is basically like a zone. Uh, that's uh, completely open. You can travel from any one point in a region to an, any other point in that region without any loading whatsoever. And uh, to kind of like drive this point home, the very first region is just straight up the entire world map from Rise of One. 
and rise of one and two they had like loading zones so like the world map for rise of one it was like segmented off there was like if you wanted to get to the castle you had to go through the forest but there was like a bunch of loading zones to get to it and then to get to the castle to the volcano a similar thing but that entire like uh, rise of one uh world has been uh, stitched together and expanded upon like significantly expanded upon even because there's uh the new kark isles region in the uh bottom left which is like even like like just absolutely massive because it's designed from the get-go it's like okay this is going to be an open zone so even if you like look at the map and you're like oh well that new area in the bottom left doesn't look like it's that big it's deceiving because like all the other zones were designed to be smaller and like more constrained so you get to this big open area and it's like it doesn't look that big but just because of the realities of how it was designed it's way bigger in practice and same with the other uh, new zones and just that one region and then there's three other regions that are basically the same size as the rise of one like expanded rise of one uh, world map and it's just insane how much bigger like the entire game as a whole is does the game's like story narrative progression make good use of the uh i guess the added space because whenever i hear a game talking about like how large the world map is you know there's always the general questions like well is it interesting to traverse is there, is there plenty of stuff to do uh, like how open or sandboxy is it or is it pretty prescribed like you'll travel definitely to this makes... area first then this area second and so on it, it definitely has like a um you definitely start off in one region, then move to another. And it's like linear, which regions are visiting, mm -hmm. but it does a good job of uh, making it so that there's reasons to explore everything, whether it's uh, just to find like quests to do or to uh, find rare materials that you can put into like uh, alchemizing new uh, recipes and whatnot. Like there's plenty to do. And I feel like the world is used well. The only thing I would say, and this is I, I feel like I'm almost near the end of the game, so I kind of feel like I've uh, got a good grip on how I feel about the game as a whole. There are definitely going to be some people that prefer Ryza 3 to Ryza 2. I do think, however, there are going to be some people that prefer how Ryza 2 manage things because this is an open world and it's got a lot to do and it feels really like it's open. There's a lot to do. There's a. And it feels good to to explore. But on the flip side, Rise of Two was definitely more of a fo uh, focus experience, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And like when you had stuff like there, there's nothing like the ruined dungeons from Rise of Two, which had like quite a lot of ex like it was exploration, but it was more focused around like figuring out, OK, what happened to these civilizations that died out, like piecing things together and like kind of figuring out the story for yourself, even if Rise of Two's main story was maybe less of a focus rise of three has less of that you do have things you can explore and find and there's like little bits of uh, lore you can find all around so there's some of that there but it's definitely not as much of a focus so if you're in it for just like exploring and finding new like uh materials to alchemize stuff then you're definitely going to prefer it but i feel like i kind of liked the whole dungeon aspect of rise of two and i think that there's something to be said for uh, for how that game handled things. But that's not a dang to Rise of Three at all. Like in general, what? it's good that they've tried something different. And I'm and I kind of like that the Rise of series as a whole, each game has its own kind of specific like flavor, if that makes sense. 
Well, I remember back when Rise of Two was new, you know, take my brain back two years. Now that you brought it up, brought it up now, I remember you talking about this, uh, like ancient civilization, piecing together the history aspect of Rise of Two back when that came out as a, as a really big strength of it. So yeah, it is kind of interesting that all these games kind of have slightly shifted focuses in terms of sort of the gameplay elements that they uh, kind of put their time and effort into. Um, one thing yeah. that I wanted to bring up just to see if you could speak to it a little more with some firsthand experience is, of course, the full title of this game is called Alchemist of the End and the Secret Key. And with some of the early game marketing, they try to detail exactly like how this key system worked. But of course, it's all like layered in, you know, that marketing PR speak about how it's this, you know, this really engaging thing. But I can you just describe how the key system works? Is there anything that novel or is it actually quite interesting or intricate? Uh, is it a major component of the game or not? It's a major component of the game, but I actually think the longer I've been playing this, that the game might have been better without it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's. It's like one of those things where it's like it feels a bit bloated with how it uh, changes up the gameplay loop. And I don't necessarily think it really makes the game all that better. Well, we'll boil it down for us. How does it how does okay. it actually work once you actually like get into it? Okay, when you start off the game, you have access to this thing called the hollow key, which uh, every time you set out from the atelier into the open world, you have five charges of it that you can either use at landmarks or in the middle of battle to uh, when uh, when an opponent's like broken and like uh, has lost enough HP to make a key from either that landmark or that enemy. And uh, there's certain attributes of the enemy in question or landmarks in question that will determine what type of key that can be made to a certain extent. Uh, later on, you get access to being able to craft pristine keys, which are a limited resource that you have to explicitly craft that when used as a charge, you can make stronger keys. And the way keys work is they can have a, ver a variety of different effects. They can have effects that uh, improve your buff when you use them in the middle of battle. They have um, effects that if you equip them as like an accessory, they will just boost your attributes or give you specific uh, other like changes to your uh, character. Uh, there's uh, adventure effects, which uh, can make it so it's like, OK, maybe rare monsters have a higher chance of spawning or stronger monsters have, have a higher chance of spawning or you can use them to unlock like caches or like break barriers to like give you access to other parts of the map, stuff like that. It's all very intricate. The main problem is, is that. While there are aspects of keys that you can kind of. Um, account for when trying to craft them, I feel like there's. There's already so much you have to consider when you're um when you're alchemizing stuff, when you're trying to find materials to craft stuff that I feel like the keys are maybe at one step a little bit too far, especially when you have access to it's like you can use them in like synthesis and they'll have different attributes. Like I'm even on a screen right now. And like if I use a secret key for <laughs> crafting pristine keys, you'll see that there's like different recipe levels that if you use different keys, they'll give you different effects. So if I use a key that's common or uncommon, well, if I use this one's just based off of how common the key is, if I use a common one, it just increases the quality a little bit. If I if I use an uncommon one, it gives me the effects of level one, but also. adds like additional numbers of pristine keys when I'm finished with the synthesis, if I use a rare one and it, it uh, 
lets me put more uh, materials into the synthesis at first. So there's stuff like that for every craft in the game that has specific attributes depending on the key you use. And it's not just based off rarity. Sometimes it's based off of, okay, if you use a key on a like an ore type enemy, it'll give you an ore type key. Or if you use something against like a like a bird type enemy, it'll give you like a feather type key and stuff like that. I will be honest, like I'm trying to like be like, okay, my IQ is high enough to understand this. But when you describe the key, the fact that they seem so versatile, like you can equip them, you can use them in synthesis. It seems like the primary use. You can actually use them as keys. It just seems like they kind of are MacGuffins that have a lot of different disparate uses. Um, yeah. And it's almost hard for me to get like a latch on it, like exactly because they don't have just a clear, very identifiable, this is how they're used. I think the main problem I think the main problem is is that the only way to kind of have like a good grasp on what sort of key you're going to make is by it's like using them against enemies, which means that one of the changes they made in Rise of Three is that it's much, much quicker to gather stuff in general. Like it's you're you're just running around. If you see something, you can just kind of like run up to it, press press the A button without skipping a beat it's like it's like a monster Hunter world like in previous monster Hunter games you would have to sit still and just kind of gather for a bit but in monster Hunter world it's just like you're kind of just walking by gathering everything you see mm. it's kind of that sort of shift in like a in a direction but the keys are the one sort of material or like um resource that deliberately requires quite a bit of uh well at least m more investment in order to get and it just can be a bit i wouldn't say frustrating but it definitely does have an impact on the flow of the game if you're trying to do something where it's like okay i need this specific key how do i get it okay i need to fight this specific type of enemy especially if it's like a well if i want to get a rare key i'm gonna have to make um pristine keys first which means means i need to have the right materials for it which that isn't as much of a deal because relatively common materials to make those but still like you have to make them first you have to go through the process of synthesizing them then you have to find the enemy that you want to use against them get into a battle break them get their uh, hp low enough so that you can use the key uh, ideally get them low enough so that the key doesn't have a chance of failing because there's like a certain percentage chance based off of how much health they have okay and it's just a lot to consider which is not a bad thing but it definitely has an impact on the flow of it all which is kind of striking when otherwise the game has made a very well the uh, developers have made a very big effort to kind of uh, clamp down on how how much work it takes to go from like point a to point b if that makes sense it it sounds like the way you're describing it that between especially with some of the upgrades to rise of two that they've carried over into rise of three a lot of the a lot of the game is like easy breezy a lot of the game is you know very like comfort food uh but then with this key element it just seems like all right time to put on your micromanage hat at least a little bit uh in order to get the most out of this which isn't inherently bad micromanaging isn't a bad thing it it's just feels game, like it just overall, it just feels a bit so different it seems like is the way you're describing it yeah definitely just it's it's very striking compared to how uh the rest of the game works is kind of what i'm trying to say i guess all right uh, but again, it's not a bad thing. Like some people definitely prefer having that like extra bit of micromanagement. It's just like it feels at odds with the rest of the experience in a way where it's like and considering how big of a focus the keys are, it's just kind of striking where it's like it feels like the 
like you're pumping the brakes whenever you need to uh, get a specific type of key. Whereas everything else, it's like it like it's very easy to just like even with how big the world is, with how many landmarks there are, they are and how quick the loading times are, at least on PC. I don't know about on I assume PS5 will be similar. I don't know about Switch. With how everything is like that, it's just like the keys are the one thing that you'd want to get that just takes much, much more time in order to uh, to get prepared for what you want to do. So it's for like me, compared to everything else, it's just it stands out is what I'm saying. For me, whenever I have to micromanage something in a game, painting with a broad brush, usually the the act upon realizing that a little bit of micromanagement's needed or you have to like really look at your gear or items or attributes. And I'm speaking very generically here. I don't enjoy like the, the prep phase of that, but once you're actually like executing it, once you once you realize I need to do this and you set up your your however whatever you need to set up in order to execute that. And then you know, once you're doing it, I usually find a little bit of enjoyment out of it. Uh, but I can see uh, at a I, high level, hypothetically, how it might feel at odds when you're kind of conditioned from the first two games to not have to expect that from this series. Well, the thing is, is that micromanaging is absolutely a part of Atelier's DNA. And I'm not saying the micromanaging itself is a problem. I think I think the best way to explain it is it feels like when you're micromanaging like a synthesis or you're micromanaging a piece of equipment or something like that, there's a very immediate payoff where you're having to micromanage just to make one key and you don't necessarily know if what you're going to get from it is going to be worth it because mm. um, and that's kind of the whole thing. Like, if, like if I'm crafting a piece of armor and I go through the process of uh, reducing a bunch of my materials to gems so I can put, um, pour it into item rebuilding to max out a piece of equipment to make it as strong as I can it's very immediately obvious what the end result of that is. It's very easy to see exactly what's going to what's going to happen to that equipment when I'm done with that busy work. But with the keys, it's hard to and it's there's a sort of like a certain bit of randomness with like, say, the caches like you can find like synthesis recipes for like gear from those caches. But it's hard to tell exactly how that works, exactly where they can be found and whatnot but most of the time you open a cache and it's just a bunch of random materials that you probably could have found better materials just running around whacking trees or smashing rocks uh on your own and that's why it feels like it's kind of at odds because it's like the best thing it feels like keys can do for you is if you can get one with a with a buff that if you uh, like equip it as like a as a as a, an accessory or something to a character, it gives them like a massive buff to their stats. It feels like that's the best thing to do with it. And then like in combat, you can kind of use a key to like spam uh, skills. But uh, I feel like the combat in Rise of Three also doesn't have as much of a defined gameplay loop versus uh, Rise of Two. Like Rise of Two, I felt like once you unlocked everything, it had a, it had a very clear gameplay loop how you wanted to do things. Whereas this one, with the added complexity of the keys and some of the rebalancing to how things like skills work, like, uh, ironically enough, it feels like there's way, like, Rise of One, um, definitely, there was, like, like every Atelier game, you could get really powerful with items, and you could use them and become powerful, and in, in like, uh, battles, they could be a very, very important tool. But Rise of One had an issue where, like, you're, there was a core charge system and to use items, you needed to use core charges. And those didn't 
really regenerate that quickly. You had to go to specific spots in the world map to regenerate them after battle. So it felt like you were spending all this time to make like one item, whereas in previous like Atelier games, you were spending time to make tons of items and there was a reason to use them in battle like actively. But um, Rise of Two fixed that by making it so that as you're using skills, you'll get like core charge points. So it's not that you're beholden to a set amount of core charges and you have to go somewhere in the overworld to recharge them. It was just based off of how you were doing in battle. But if anything, it feels like Rise of Three goes even harsher in that um, in that uh, direction. Because now the way that skills have been rebalanced and how your like actual stats have been rebalanced, it feels like the best way to deal with battles is just to spam the same skills, like not skills, same items over and over and over again, even on the hardest difficulties. And I'm not are you, sure. Are you playing on hard? Yeah, I'm playing on mm -hmm. very hard. Uh, one thing I was curious about, just um, having played the other two games to completion and saying you're approaching near the end of this game is it about the same length or because of the way the world map is designed is it like taking a more time but i was gonna say that was my guess like if i was gonna guess i'm gonna guess it was gonna take you a bit a little, little bit longer on three compared to one or two yeah rise of two is already a longer game than rise of one and this one is absolutely especially for trying to do everything is going to be even longer but uh yeah i've been enjoying it but it's like one of the things i've really liked about rise of two is it felt like the uh, combat had a really good flow to it and it felt like they'd really kind of perfected the rise of the combat system. And I can't say that I feel like what the changes they've made to rise of three actually improve upon it. If anything, it just feels like a messier experience, which is kind mm -hmm. of a shame. Well, what, what would you say rise of three uh, does potentially better than rise of two? Just curious. Just try, just to try to end this on a high note. Well, like, like I said, like the world design is really, really good. It's just mm -hmm. and like, I'm not saying that just because I preferred like the dungeon stuff that any that others would feel the same way. Uh, the immediate story is definitely better. There's more of a focus, though. The uh, localization does have some issues, which I mean, I feel like the Atelier series has always kind of had that problem where sometimes the localization is either really rough. Other times they change a character's last name to make an STD joke. Uh uh, but um, it's I don't, don't know if I want to pry at that or not. It, yeah, was, I, it was it was a bad era for Nisa in terms of like look like botch localizations. Uh, quite mm -hmm. frankly, it was basically it was basically uh, there was an NPC in an atelier game that had SD that, or hearts. And, yeah, uh, they changed her last name to D, so it would be SDD. Yeah, for a joke like that, and uh, for no, there's no that's reason. That's really. Yeah, it's a bit silly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know I'm so I know I sound uh, like negative about the game. I, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm really enjoying the game. I'd say like I know I'm not reviewing it, but if I were to review it, I'd probably give it like I'd probably still give it a nine. It's I just like, I, I don't think you're being negative about it. I think you're just like you're being very, very, being very fair about it. It's like, yeah, you know, you played one, two and three. And then you're just like saying, hey, you know, these are the things that three does well. It's also the things that three doesn't do well compared to its predecessor. I don't think that's necessarily negative about it. It's just like. You're being fair to it. Well, that's why, like, you know, games aren't just linear. You don't measure them on a ruler. I, I think you've made it pretty clear how you talked about how it's world design and the openness of it and the scale of it is really good. How the story you've, you've said, the, even this, even though it seems like it's less of a focus, you're really enjoying it. And then you just you talked about how the combat is something you think might have been done better in two. And I think that's more of an interesting opinion rather than saying 
two is wholesale better than three or three is wholesale better than two. Cause that's not how things go. Most of the time, usually you'll have bits of each that you'll like more or like less. That's just more genuine. I feel like it's a little bit of that. Like I, I know you're getting to the end of the story and you know, you don't, of course you want to not spoil anything for people, but uh, like with the way things are going right now, compared to like the stories of one, two and three and the way that you, where you think the story is going to go. Like, do you think like the, that the, the journey for Ryza has been like, well worth it the the, the uh yeah or, or how the events went on this in this final yeah like, one thing trilogy. one thing i do want to say that i kind of two ended on uh, tended off on a high note i think one of the strongest things about Ryza as a trilogy is actually the fact that not only are you seeing Ryza grow up but you're seeing her friends and like mm-hmm. everyone else from like Ryza one and two just seeing how they've changed and like have grown into their own like grown like adults like they're like you genuinely see the cast of rise of one grow up into well-adjusted adults regardless of what issues they might or might not have had in like their childhood like lent went from a i guess spoilers for rise of one uh, a kid who was straight up abused by his alcoholic dad to somebody that's outright standing up for himself and his mom as his own like well-adjusted adult like doing his own thing separated from like all the stuff that he felt was ingrained into him from his dad like which was a struggle he had in rise of two and now in like rise of three is like very confident he he's like he's gotten over he's he's not gotten over that's not a right way of putting it he is he's adjusted from his trauma and he's in a he's in a good space and then you have someone like tower it's like in the first game he's very much like a bookworm he looks like a little nerd like he doesn't have any sort like he he seems awkward he was he was literally the bullet kid then like rise of two you see him like grow into his own uh become more confident where it's like okay he's reading about all this ancient history and he's like you know what i want to explore ancient history after like seeing like all the adventure he went through in the first game he just goes well I feel confident I'm going to start exploring these ruins, which leads into Rise of 2 and it is expanded upon even in like Rise of 3 and Rise herself. She becomes an alchemist in one because she's like she she's a country girl. She just wants to find some she wants something interesting. She wants to like explore the world, explore what's outside the realm of like her island life that she's like known her entire like like childhood. It's just like one of those things where it's like you don't really see that sort of growth across games, even in like RPGs or really any games, really. So just having a trilogy where it feels like these characters, not just Ryza, but her friends too, just you can see the through line of how they've actually developed, even if the stories themselves aren't that like super deep. It's it really feels earned and fulfilling because it's like you can see the journey they made there. And even if it hasn't been like an incredibly eventful like journey for them you can just see how like it's impacted them like genuinely and from like from a realistic perspective and whatnot yeah i mean i like you know chow was saying earlier like uh, atalia games and and you know the the multi-part like atalia games they feel like a slice of life show and you know and with slice of life shows you're not really there to see like a definitive like storyline end, you know but things will keep on going at a certain course by the end of those uh slice of life runs and you're more there just peeking into like how these like learning about these characters learning where they come from and how they how they grow into their own person uh and that's really kind of the the strength of slice of life shows and like you're see you're witnessing a person's life 
like at a moment in time that like it's changing the most. Yeah, I think the best way to kind of put it is that Rise of 1 and 2, you kind of saw Rise and her friends grow up. And then in Rise of 3, they're just, they're the stereo, well, not stereotypical, but they're like the JRPG party. But you've seen how they've gotten there. They used mm-hmm. to be normal people. They've gone through a lot and enough to, to where it's like you see where they are now. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so it's, think, it's nice it's cool. that you can you have like because that's something that is afforded them through the fact that they've had a whole trilogy to build up these characters and not just the length of time because you could just make like I, I I would say that having three different stories in the trilogy offers you the ability to do things that one longer story doesn't where they all have like the different climaxes and the different uh all the different episodes that they've been able to put together so that when you approach rise of three and you see these characters you've already got that pre-baked understanding about who exactly they are because you've you've experienced it firsthand yep yeah i i guess we should say also like before we end off this like this rise of block like they did announce like you know that they're also uh giving an anime adaptation to the first Ryza game ever, Darkness and the Secret Hideout. And that's coming this airing this summer. So mm-hmm. it's just right around the corner as well. And that's that's really interesting. Like uh, I, I think but this is not the first time they've they've uh, put yeah, an they, anime adaptation for uh for an Did they do an Eska and Logi one? I think I think it's Eska and Logi. Yeah. yeah they did. I don't know if they did anything um beyond that though. That's the last one I thought uh, I remember. Yeah, Eskin Logi is interesting because it's like the one Atelier uh, game where it's a duo of uh, alchemists. And very explicitly, it's like a girl and a guy, which is uh, interesting because it's like there's very much a chemistry between them. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see, like, do you think the structure and the story of the first Ryza game does it lend itself well to an anime adaptation? Uh, yes, but I think a lot of people might uh go into it with the wrong idea because mm-hmm. it's very much less of a focus uh, versus uh, yeah, it's it, it's more it, of a, it's a smaller scope story. It's more of a chill sort of like it's it's, it's like kind of like the beginning roots of of something greater. So it's not like something that's going to be like super eventful like or action packed. Thing. yeah that's a that's a good way of putting it it's just definitely one of those things where uh uh hopefully people go into it understanding it's very much going to be a uh lower key uh story mm-hmm. and do you, th- do you think uh like because i know esco and logi was like a, a, a one-off for anime adaptations for the atelier series do you think they're gonna go uh, like adapt two and three uh, I think there's a good chance it'll happen uh, because uh, this, the, the games have been very successful uh, Two, And especially three would would absolutely uh, work well as like a, an anime story, I feel like. And yeah. um, I, I think if I was Koei Tecmo and uh, or and Gust and I was like, OK, we're going to be jumping to the next uh, Atelier um, like trilogy. Well, Rise has done really, really well. You you maybe don't want to let go of her quite yet. Yeah. So like, yeah. Do you think this will be like a, a nice buffer? Like, because I know they're obviously doing the, the Marie remake uh, later this year, but after that, you know, there's nothing really on the map for Atelier beyond that. Do you think they're going to use the the Rise anime as sort of like that buffer time to to get like the to get Gust, you know, 
give them more development time to see what's next for Atelier. I don't know if that'll necessarily be it. I I would like that to be the case because I feel like um, we, we were talking Jesse every week about how like last week they announced that uh, Rise of One and Two combined had sold 1.6 million copies, which means that in like the next month or two, we're probably going to find out with like whatever buff from uh, Rise of Three's launch does. Probably Rise of One's going to cross a million copies sold, which is insane for the Atelier series. Yeah, yeah, that's big. So it's like you're well, we also seeing it. We also uh, talked Riot. a little bit about the. Sorry to talk over you. Uh, we also talked a little bit about how Atelier Two, Rise of Two, maintained a lot of the momentum of Rise of One. So I'm eager to see if Rise of Three does the same thing. Yeah, it's like it's definitely a case where how will that momentum carry forward for the next trilogy, and how will it, like impact how Gus develops her games? Because it's like Rise of Three is an important game for Gus for a number of reasons. But the main one for me is that it's very clearly got a larger budget. It had a larger development cycle. And if uh, Koei Tecmo feels like they could pivot them to making games that maybe have that, like even more of a budget, even more of a, of a, like a development timeline, what will the next Atelier series will look like? Will it be like more of a, bigger budget RPG series moving forward? Or are they maybe looking at like how what like say Persona is like grown up, like blown up worldwide and maybe they're thinking, hey, can we do this? I don't know. I I don't know if they can like blow up to nearly that like regard, but I, you got to wonder if there's conversations within Koei Tecmo and Gus being like, so what do we do next? I think yeah, that's really the next Atelier trilogy will have you know some. Uh, it'll be a group that likes to rob you know th- uh, p- special things to within inside people. You know how it goes. They they call this as the Phantom something. Mm, you know, but uh, but really, it's I think it's going to be a really difficult challenge for them, and I think that's just inherent to the Atelier series as a whole of like. Because they, uh, you know, within each arc, they it's always a new protagonist when it's the start of a new arc. So, like, all all the love and energy and passion people have had for Ryza and her friends, that's not necessarily, necessarily going to be applicable to whatever the next Atelier yeah. arc is going to be. And uh, I, I, th- I think the, the long-standing thing is that Atelier fans will always keep coming back because of the unique Atelier gameplay loop of that blend of like exploring the world with the battle system and how much it interacts with the crafting system and you know you I, feel like you feel like an alchemist i think i get what you're saying there where it's like i definitely don't know how much of the like how much of the player base for ryza it would consider themselves atelier fans okay. or specifically ryza fans right and we're gonna have to see how that goes because okay. even now you see some people like upset about even the idea that there might be less of a focus on fan service and whatever comes next when Atelier's frankly never been about fan service. Yeah, like, even Ryza, it's just mostly been Ryza's character design. I, I, th- I, think, that's, design I think that's weird and... lip service. Uh, the, to be honest, even if, even if they never said that, like, uh, like if it's still, I, I think, I think for people who've played many Atelier games, I don't, I don't think they would be like, Ah yes, this has less fan service than like the ones before. I don't think they'd like even really notice because I, I don't really like you said like 
with all the other games I've played. It's series identity. It's yeah, like legit. even if you want sci fi, I played, it's like, I don't really see this as a fan service game. Like, I'll, I'll grant you that there have been, like, some very, like, you know, weird scenes, like, in, like some earlier uh, Like in games. the Arlen games. Yeah. But it's, like, but it's like you look at pretty much all the Dust Trilogy, there's nothing there. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It's just going to be interesting to see uh, how many of the people that uh, Ryza brought into the series, if they're actually interested in the series itself. Or, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. That, well, I, I obviously, we have the uh, Atelier Marie remake in the summer, but that's kind of it's it's going to be harder to extrapolate from that one because it's got a very different art style. It's a remake of a of a, of, of a much older game, game. et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think the Marie remake is necessarily a, a signifier for what the future. Yeah, it's of that not a good barometer. I, I think it's more of a, it's a nice celebration title for where where the series started and where it is now. You know, I think that's that, that's really awesome of them to to do that. But mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like, hey, this is where Atali. So we'll see. Well, thank you, James, for going very in depth about your time with. Atelier Rise of 3 so far and going into the context of how you feel about it compared to Rise's 1 and 2. Now, like I said at the, at the outset, um, Nathan, a uh, contributor to the site, will be writing up the review for that. Doesn't have it ready quite yet, uh, but this way at least you'll get uh, some one staff member's opinion and maybe uh, we'll get Chow uh, to play through it and offer his opinion down the road or potentially in the Game of the Year discussion, uh, things like that. And we will go on from there once Atelier, Remi- Remi- yeah, Atelier Marie Remake comes out. Say that five times fast. Now, the other major game when we were talking about and going through the list of games to talk about this week uh, that we were looking at what we should do, put on the itinerary for this podcast, uh, we decided to go with uh, a very big release for the week. But it's not an RPG, but we figured to heck with it. We're going to talk about it anyway. And that is the Resident Evil 4 remake uh, or hold remaster. On, hold on, Brian. It has side uh, questions. So oh, it has side quests. It's, it's it's RPG. Oh, that, is that is that the rubric now? Side quests. That's sufficient. It's good enough. Good enough. Right, so so <laughs> I, I I I've seen this game being shared across uh, Twitter, Reddit, all over the place, and it seems like everyone is really really high on it. Uh, well, maybe not everyone, but most people, many people. And uh, I saw um, Josh was in uh, one of our Discord channels earlier streaming it. I saw and has been playing a little bit of the Resident Evil Four uh, uh, re-release. So we figured, hey, why not? We'll give our we we'll give ourselves a chance to talk about it here. So Resident Evil Four, totally an RPG, second game we're talking about on our uh, on our podcast. You know me, I, I whenever I think about like, oh, I'm gonna go to a, on a podcast that's for an RPG site. I do not want to talk about RPGs. Let's mm-hmm. definitely not talk about RPGs. <laughs> no, it's just more like I've I haven't really been playing um, much RPGs lately. I mean, I, I started a replay of Jedi Fallen Order, which is not really an RPG, but you know, it's kind of like kind I of mean... like on the borderline. It has skill points and a skill tree <laughs> there, you know. But I it, think it, we're gonna be covering uh, Jedi Survivor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know there are some things behind the scenes going on on the site that you know it might be pivoting towards that, but we'll see. Um, yeah, and uh, other than that, that's uh, yeah. I haven't really been doing much with RPGs lately, so yeah, I started the Resident Evil Four remake. Um, you know, just uh, like a day or ago or so, because the the keys came late from uh, Green Man Gaming, and that was a whole kerfuffle there. But whatever. Um, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm only very early on. You know, uh, like with, like in chapter three or chapter four. I'm only um, in chapter two. 
Yeah, it's a super stuff. Right, 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 right. Right. Should it be chapter two or chapter three? I don't know. I'm about to get the boat. Uh, you're, you're, yeah, you're, I think you're near, near, I think you're around, around where I'm at. I think I have to make my way to the lake right now. Um, people play the original four so much. You could just say that one word and people know kind of like exactly kind of. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, comic, yeah, I mean, I, I played the original GameCube version uh, of Resident Evil 4 and I loved it. You know, I was, I wouldn't say I'm like the biggest Resident Evil fan. Like I, I played, you know, one, two and three on uh, PS1. You know, I, but I didn't like super, super get into that. I, like maybe did like, I did. I was big into it, but I was not very good at them. I, my other friend was very, very mm-hmm. good at it. Yeah. So how we usually do it is like, well, the thing is, my brother and cousin usually buy a Resident Evil game, and we were only like ten years old, and we were yeah as kids. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, we're breaking the ESRB law, but whatever. It is. Hey, just, just, just a couple months ago, we were talking about uh, you had played Sweet Home, which had was a lot of the inspirations, apparently. Yes, because there's a lot of like um, puzzle elements to Resident Evil game. Because I see Resident Evil more of a puzzle game than a horror game. You're you're trying mm-hmm. to like solve these clues to open the doors to get to your next destination. You know. Yeah, yeah. That, especially Resident Evil One. You know, like that was the obviously a horror game, but also the, very much as much of a puzzle game as it is a horror game, which is like a a nice like flavor of things. So I I really like the way Resident Evil One and its remake. You know, kind of struck that uh, gameplay balance and flow, and of course, Resident Evil Two, all-time great game, whether it's like the remake or the classic uh, one, and that's just that that went crazy. But like when you think about like the jump from the first Resident Evil One into Resident Evil Two, it's like big improvement. Yeah, and and then they somehow like struck gold Resident Evil Two remake. Like I remember like that video of them say like when they when the project was like we do it. Yeah, we do it, and they did it. They fucking I was did it. in that room at San Diego Comic Con when they said that. Uh huh. Yeah, and uh, it was it was wild. And then we we're like, okay, well, good fucking luck, you know. Like in that in that time, the only thing we really knew about Resident Evil remakes was Resident Evil One remake, and that was like fantastic. But you know, Resident Evil Two was a very different game. And then that came out, and that not was to like, mention, like cra- when, you guys are crazy. <laughs> not to mention when they announced that, like Capcom was in a very different state. Yeah. So it's yeah. like people like were kind of pessimistic and I wouldn't mm-hmm. say they were wrong for feeling that way. Yeah. Like, uh, like nowadays it's very, very different. Like uh, I was trying to remember, is that the time when they did like the Tekken versus street fighter? It was street thing? fighter versus Tekken. And I very, very much remember I went to the Tekken panel. It was either that or the comic-con before or after that. And in the Tekken panel, Ono just kind of like uh, bombed it. To try and say, hey, people, play the Street Fighter V demo and buy my game. And I was like, really, dude? <laughs> Classy. Oh, man. Yeah, they were uh, in a pretty sad state back in that time. They were almost bankrupt, weren't they? Until like a bunch of investors. I, like, I mean, I they, were, they were pretty much like, uh, things were looking dicey pre Monster Hunter World, and Monster Hunter World kind of saved the company. Uh, <laughs> it was wild seeing like the stream right after Monster Hunter World came out, and it was immediately obvious that it was a success. Like, that was the happiest I've seen any of those developers look. You could tell they were like, oh, thank God, we're good. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, so you know, I, I was definitely one of those people that like when they announced, hey, when when the lease came out and like and sort of like a thing that like, hey, they're planning to do a remake for Resident Evil Four, and I was like, 
does Resident Evil 4 really need a remake? <laughs> like, to, to, to me, in my mind, I was like, that still seems like a modern game. You can still, you know, play it on PC, and but it's not really available on modern platforms, sure. But I'm like, but what would you remake about it? <laughs> you know, how's that? Now, uh, and now and, it seems like the consensus is, at least so far, where it's like, it is an excellent game called Resident Evil 4. It does not replace the original game. And that's the best case scenario because it's like it stands on its own merits. It's a great game. It's a great remake. But there's yeah. still plenty of reason to want to play the original. It's like, yes, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, that's, you know, the, the, the only thing they could have like done better with it. Like I always I, I always there's always unfair, right? Because I always think about uh, the o- Odin Sphere remake, the Leif Thrasir and how or they bundled like the original. Be, yeah. yeah, you can you can play the original Odin Sphere game in it as well. And that's what I always think about remakes. It's like if you're gonna remake a game, you should have the original game with it because that get that game kind of shaped my 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 beliefs on that. But you know, it's it's fine. The, you can get the original Resident Evil Four for very cheap, and it goes on sale these days. Fair. There's also the HD uh, was it remaster pack? Someone did like an HD mod. Spent yeah, like the Atari Four HD mod. Uh, that person now works for Atari. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what's that studio? Is it Night Dive? Studio? Which just got bought by Atari. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny how things work out. We <laughs> yeah, we we, we 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 didn't cover that on the site, but I remember Adam had posted it and it's like, what is Atari anymore? Like I don't like it's changed that name and logo has changed hands enough times over the last 10 years that I'm like I I know I that it. the most I know the Atari 50 release they did was well received. But yeah. I just I think that they do some neat stuff. I uh I don't know, man. I, I think the shit they pulled with TXK and then like what they did with uh, Tempest 4000. It's like it's still a great game, but it's like one of the best things about that game was the soundtrack. Tempest 4000 doesn't have it. So, yeah, like, uh, well, like, like uh, I, I, yeah, the Atari 50 thing that, that recently came out last year, like it's it's more on the hey, it's digital eclipse. Digital mm-hmm. eclipse it does fantastic work when it comes to like, you know, like putting retro collections out in like in a way that like respects them and preserves them in a way that's just like excellent and that's like the the a more of a digital eclipse thing than atari <laughs> in my mind but yeah i mean you know atari is a very weird company these days but that's just the, the best way i can really describe them. it's like obviously they're trying to reclaim their former glory and that's just um it's a very tough landscape out there uh, out there these days and you can't you can't be fucking doing stupid shit <laughs> to try and reclaim that you have to kind of go you kind of have to go through the ringer to do that it's just i i'm surprised they even had the money to buy a studio considering like the vcs was cool but i don't think that did well no i don't, I don't think it did well I, I heard nothing but negative things about that system yeah. i heard the hardware inside it's good it's decent but all the you know, fiasco if it is it coming or not. And well, it, it eventually came out and the people that did use it said that it was like it it delivered what they said it would. And it was like a neat like set top box. So it's like it, it was a path to get there. But considering how many other like. Uh, projects like that, that have just fallen into the ether and never released, I'll, I'll give them credit for actually following through and making something that even closely resembles what they said it was going to be. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but anyway, yeah, Resident Evil Four, the the remake. Um, damn, I don't, I don't even know where, where to start. Like, the, there's so many things that they changed in this game that, like, right away, you can just like, kind of, kind of, 
What do you think, Chow? I, I don't know where to start. You 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 tell uh, me, bro. Right, right? I just I just find it hilarious how the beginning, the you know, the hunter's lodge uh-huh. that became a field to learn how to play the game instead of like the original where you just fucking bust out of the place. Oh, oh yeah, it's like <laughs> totally a different experience there. I, I think this game, it's definitely not it going to be the same thing, obviously, right? But it's like a mixture of the RE2 remake and the original RE4. And you get those two plans, so it's more it has a more horror element to it, which the kind of the original four kind of lacked. I would say there's not much horror; it's more action based, in my opinion, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. The, the I mean, it, it, both both Resident Evil and the remake are still like Leon's a fucking action hero, movie action hero, pretty much. But the, the, the way this starts, the one the, the the way this starts off, and the way the color palette is a lot more darker, and like it's trying to. They're trying to position itself as like, yes, there is still like horror elements, and they want to like kind of bring some more of those classic horror elements. Uh, I was right gonna say, does he feel like a more an asshole with this one too? Uh, Leon, Leon is an asshole, but both. I don't like. That, I know, but it, it, feels, it, anything, it feels more. It feels more snobbish in this it, one. It, it, I I get, mean, in, in a way, yeah. I the guess. way they like even just playing the demo, the way that he's like um, portrayed at the beginning of the game is very much. I, I definitely have PTSD from Resident Evil 2. I'm I'm sick yeah. of this shit. I can't Pretty believe much. I have to do this again. Because uh, you, you remember, like, like uh, Leon is working under the resident, not necessarily by choice, you know? He's kind of... First day kinda, on the job in Raccoon City goes through the apocalypse. Yeah, they're, they're, like, the, 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 the U.S. government is basically blackmailing him to working for them yeah they actually expanded that backstory instead of the original was like yeah umbrella went under for some stupid reason and i am working for the government somehow you yeah know, that's kind of like the original now it kind of gives you a little bit more lore that he's you know he survived the apocalypse and now i had to do this shit again are you kidding me you know but that's kind of like the new backstory instead right yeah so uh, but in this one, it's like it just feels so. It, it feels really good once you start tweaking with that. You know, get get you get all the your controls down because there's a lot of like options for the way you want to like tweak your game, uh, your play on gamepad or keyboard and mouse. But once you like start, you get like the right settings for you. Uh, yeah, it's a it, little it just, bit it, hard to get used to controls because there's all different uh, movement with the knife now. The knife has such an improvement in this one compared to the original. Yeah, I mean the 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 knife is so it, it's versatile, but not it's not too versatile. It's not because it's, has a durability meter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this have you have you killed the chainsaw guy using the knife? It's so easy with the knife killing the chainsaw guy. You would be uh, like, no, I did not kill kill a chainsaw dude with a knife yet. Okay, because what I did was that I throw a flash grenade, and when they throw flash, they start to be staggered. I just uh-huh. run behind them, just do the backstab. And just do that twice and did actually like die. It works better than shooting them with shotgun shells like ten times. Yeah, I, I haven't done that yet. I, I've kind of, I've oddly Chow's just too like, pro. yeah, I, I, I haven't because because whenever I do like the the initial village section, I just kind of like run around and get shit uh, waiting it out because I know because I know like it's gonna be a lot of wasted bullets. Like I, the only time I ever use bullets during that section is like if I need like something to get out of the way, so I shoot. One in the head, run up to melee to do get a clearing, continue to run, and uh, run the timer out. Usually, though, I, I, I did experiment uh, a fir- the first few times with it just to see like some of the animations 
of like death animations. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, some of those are fucking crazy, dude. It, it, Even it, in the originals, kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. I think someone compiled a video like 256 ways of getting killed in Resident Evil 4, just watching Leon dying from all kinds of <laughs> messed up situations. Uh, yeah. yeah, the deaths are brutal. Uh, what is it? I, I was gonna say like this one actually like they. There's like different kind of damage you take. Unlike the original, where everything kind of like this consistent damage. This one's more like if you get like freaking impaled in the face, it's like oh, there goes half your life bar. But if you just got like a little tiny little touch of a tackle, it's like it won't like touch much. Yeah, yeah, the, the, uh, yeah. Like a, a, even, the, but and you also have like unique death animations based on like how what your last hit was. So like when I got punched in the face for a last hit, like that was a like a unique death animation. I think compared to what I've seen before. And I'm like, that's a really interesting, nice touch. That's funny. <laughs> but it's just like it's it at its core, it's just it's like the good parts of Resident Evil 4, but like made like somehow even better. Like obviously, you know, you have your modern touches of like, hey, you can now look down the sights and like move around. You couldn't do that in the original Resident Evil 4. You had to like be firmly planted when you're uh, look, aiming down sights. Or not aiming down sights, like uh, just aiming in general. Because you know that was kind of that was kind of the the primitive form of like what what you saw in video games for the next decade in terms of like over the top, over the shoulder third person view, you know, like Resident Evil Four kind of invented that whole scheme and and put the puzzle pieces together to make it something really really special. And then every video game in existence was like, we should fucking do that. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there was a lot of RV4 clones during that time. Yeah, and for many, many years and multiple generations to come, and you still see it now. Uh, this one, this one doesn't really reinvent the wheel, but it just make it it it, it kind of it it makes it feel better in a modern context. Um, you still have like the Tetris uh, briefcase inventory management. That still feels good to do. They have an auto sort, which is really yeah, funny yeah. in this it's one. It's free. That's why I do all the time. I, I no, it's so shitty though. I hate I'm, it. I don't want to play Tetris. I had but, enough trauma doing that in Diablo games. Okay, it's uh, like oh, my inventory is filled with ninety nine percent charms and nothing for anything else. The auto sort is so bad. It makes everything look awful and bad, and it's like kind of. You're you're that person that just like throws things in the briefcase. It's like ah, it fits. Whatever. No creativity. Uh, me, I just you, like you okay. Know, you know, you'd think for someone that spends so much of their uh, life uh, making deeply intricate guides that you mm-hmm. care about your inventory in a in, in a you game know, like Resident I, Evil. Okay, you know, when I play my own file, I am so half-assed. I only keep one save file playing Trails. And I was like, I miss all that shit. What? I can't go back. <laughs> it's like, that's why I this never made genuinely. This is genuinely, like, shocking to me. Because it's like, What? That is so funny. That's why a zero guy never exists. I miss a backdoor alley book, and I was like, "Fuck this, I'm done." <laughs> we learned a lot about Chow. I, I followed Chow's guide for Cold Steel three twice because I played through the game twice to get all the black uh-huh. records shit or whatever. And I missed. I didn't get the chest achievement both times. And now you know why. <laughs> no, okay, no, I, I'm pretty. I mean, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that's actually on me. I'm always terrible about actually. Like, I, I, I have sure a terrible. I have a terrible habit of keeping one save file because as a kid growing up, when you play in Super Nintendo cartridges, you only have three save files. That first slot belongs to your older brother, probably. The second slot belongs to you. And the first how slot many? Uh, else. Okay, no. Brian, how many save slots did you use for Cold Steel Three? Uh, several. 
and I, I don't know for specifically for that game, but I'm in the habit of I don't do it as you bad get as Adam. Hundred slots, I think. <laughs> well, I, I was gonna, I was actually going to say like I'm pretty sure Adam uses a new slot every time. I I think I usually like do ten and I rotate through. The only time I did like completely different saves for every time I saved was when I played through uh, Kuro. Like I straight up have like saves from every spot in that game. So if somebody wanted to see a specific portion of that game, I could just load it up right now. Now, how many save slots do you have in Cold Steel 3? How many save slots did you use? Me? Yeah. Uh, I think it was just like two. One for... Wow, uh, going out all There's an extra one because that's a clear save file. <laughs> only So but two only because one's a clear save file. Chow lives on the edge. I I love it actually. <laughs> I I never thought the uh, Chow was that kind of a uh, you know person, but with the way he writes guides, he does it very well. But you know, he's well, uh, uh, well. I just recently finished Octopath, and on that one or two, and I on that one, I actually kept myself to like four save files. Did you a use little, my little, guide? I did. It was very and big, I, and I used your uh, Hikari challenge guide too. It's like there's some really good skills in there. Mm-hmm. But, but once yeah. I'm done with Rise of Three, I'm heading right back to Octopath Two. That game was so good; I need to finish it. I, I'll get around to it one day. <laughs> that, that, that's that is, Octopath Two. I can already tell is going to be in the top Could, five this year. It's definitely a contender for sure. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, things can happen. We still got plenty of time. That's right. Yeah, it is March. Yeah. Um. But After yeah, Two comes out in May. But like, yeah, me and me and Chow are still very early on in uh, Resident Evil Four Remake. We're having fun. What was your main complaint, Chow? Uh, bear traps, we... bear traps. There's everywhere. I step in like <laughs> ten bear traps while the chainsaw guy was chasing me. <laughs> I like that they up the amount of uh, bear traps in the game for no fucking reason. Who, who like, puts oh. this many bear traps? There's a freaking bear trap right in your front door. You like walk in bear trap. <laughs> You know, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's like, there's like an early thing, like you know, when you first meet Louis uh, or Luis, and um, you get chained up. And the scene, the scene with that is really over the top in this remake, which is really funny. But um, when you're getting your equipment back, it's a very brief section through an abandoned factory, and like you, you're, you go up with this locked door. Yet you have to go around, but like right in front of that locked door is like just a bear trap and like for whatever reason i positioned my camera in a way that i didn't see it until i like was backing away from the door i didn't know that bear there until like i was backing away from the door and my friend was just like laughing at me because i was like streaming it on another discord he's like you didn't see that i'm like dude i swear to god that's bear trap spawned right there and the, right then and there there's yeah, no way i there. swear to god they're invisible i i even have glasses now i can't freaking see them did you um did you rescue the dog no, I didn't know where it was. Uh, <laughs> did you? Did you? Did you already get pa- uh, go go past the village elder manor, uh, the village elders manor uh, section? Uh, I think so. I, think uh, yeah, I, I know that you rescued the dog. He comes and save you in the original game. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but it's it's different where you do it in this remake. Like in the original, it was like yeah, because really I was weird. like going there. I was like, where's the dog? It's not here. It's, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's at a different spot. Like I was like I I checked uh, the original spot. And I was like, where the fuck is the dog? And then I heard something um, shortly after that section. I'm like, oh, oh, it's here now. Okay. People love doing this with like with all kinds of remakes. Locations that you're so familiar with, they kind of switch it up. So you, it keeps it a surprise, you know? If you know where it is, yeah. the surprise is ruined. Right? You know? 
I, I I'm I'm messing around with the bolt that like is the the bolt is in like, the bolt what is it cutter or throw or whatever it's like a new weapon and it's like it's a way for you to like kind of uh save up on ammo because what what the bolt does is you can uh, you, you kind of kill them and then take your ammo back yeah pretty much as long as long as like you you can like retrieve the bolts from their body um and you can craft more bolts with like like knives that you get it's kind of like a weird thing because like it's a kind of like a shitty weapon for like groups you definitely want to use it just like on one-off enemies but that that it might go a long way i don't know if i necessarily like it yet but it's nice for saving ammo even though i have like a shitload of gunpowder and like a few resources to just craft ammo i'm just the old-fashioned way i just stick with the handgun stick with the... I, I, have, I have the handgun and the, the free shotgun that you get um i missed the free shotgun the first time around because i totally forgot about it i'm like oh yeah you missed There's... the shotgun I missed a free shotgun the first time through the village. I had to, on on the village revi- revisit. I got it. Okay, that's how I got it. Was I literally went to the room with the shotgun, and as soon as I pulled the shotgun, they just stopped going after me. I was like, "Shit!" I didn't even get to use it. Nice. I, I forgot about the free shotgun. That's that's been that's how long it's been since I played Resident Evil Four. <laughs> yeah, I beat it a lot back when I was a kid. I mean, I think I even beat the professional mode back then. Oh yeah, professional was awesome. I love it, it's a very fun game. It's like yeah. there's a reason why it has like this huge following even till now, right? Yeah. But considering like how they do this remake, are you looking forward to if they ever do a Code Veronica or a Resident Evil Five remake? I don't know. Re- Resident Evil Five is such a weird game to remake. I don't know how you remake that game. You to be literally. I don't think you literally could make that game today. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't... it's very messed up because the game is absolutely no fun at all. But if no, you play on a friend, it yeah, is like the greatest game what ever. We're yeah, about Chow. <laughs> so it's like, how can you sell that? It's like, I, I don't. I don't it's know. Like me and my friend had like complete different experiences because one, it's like we played it completely together and we beat it and we loved it. But when we played by ourselves, we felt miserable all the time. You know? Do you remember how they did split screen in that game in Resident Evil Five? Um, you could. It's like the horizontal thing back, like um. Yeah, it's like, it's like the asymmetrical horizontal, like widescreen, like uh, on on the top and the bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah like it's like weird. top left, bottom right. Yeah, man, that was so fucking weird. That was like the, that's like the one thing I remember about like the like the the split screen in that game. It's like, what in the world is happening? They, they have to remake. I have to see how he punches the folder. I I don't know. I don't know if they're gonna. I mean, they're definitely like story illusions in the Resident Evil 4 remake that like mentions like Resident Evil 5 stuff, but I don't know if they're gonna I don't know if they're gonna do it. I don't know how you do it, to be honest. <laughs> I, I wonder like if they're gonna do it, I think the biggest change, and I, I know there's a controversial one, but I want them if they're if they're gonna do a Resident Evil 5 remake, try to make that a fun single player game. Yeah, it would work. It's a low hurdle of make this game fun. But no, no, like make, make it a, like it's a, it's like it's not really it's not really that fun as a single player game, but it's a really fun multiplayer experience. I want them to like basically redesign that whole game to make it like make it one a fun single player experience, two, and I know people are gonna be pissed off at to only be uh, able to play it as a single player game. Yeah, no, nah. hard sell because because you can you can always play. I mean, now you can now you can play the the Resident Evil Five with uh with a co op partner. Now they they got rid of games for Windows Live on it. I mean, you can go back to Resident Evil Five and play that as a multiplayer and have fun with it. But if you're gonna reimagine that game, challenge yourselves and make that only single player and make it really fun. Man, you're putting them on the spot. 
hey man uh, go, go big or go home that's a, that's what i think about remakes like if you're not if you're not willing to like really like just change things up fundamentally um then like for me it's like when it comes to remakes then like it just for to me that doesn't seem interesting right like remasters and remakes are the kind of like different things to me remasters are more like touched up versions of like the same experience that may, might look visually better remakes are to me are something that like you just radically change everything like how you know resident evil 2 and resident evil 4 are very good examples of like games that are not there are not the same as the original game they're very aside from just looking different they're structured very very differently yeah, they're, they're completely different games that's why yeah like, oh. even even down to mechanics like they're not the same games as the as the original games so you know like and then like stuff like the dead space remake earlier this year it's like it looks very pretty don't get me wrong and there are definitely some tweaks to like the level layout in that game that it like um are not from the original but if you're if you're playing it basing off of like do it's like is the, was this the original game or like do I do I does this feel like the original game like to many people it's like it feels like the original game there are some different things here and there but it's largely the same game you've played before and there's nothing wrong with that as a remake philosophy but for me it's like it's much 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 more interesting if you just dare to just change everything up you know so that, that's uh, that's how I think going into it when it comes to remakes because I've already played the original before. Like you know, I I don't need to say but play a remake of the same exact experience. Yeah, you know? I, I I'm in the same boat as you. You know, I know a lot of people. I, I know I hate doing this comparison, but when the Final Fantasy VII remake came out, people were so upset that they didn't get the original game. I'm like, you know what? I played the original so many times. Mm, yeah. I don't have the same experience. I don't. It's like nothing is gonna be a surprise. Yeah, I mean FF seven remake, like it's like that that's a very good example of something that just like reimagines everything. Uh you know, the the only the only thing that the only hurdle that it's like hard to like swallow, it's like if you want the whole thing, you're gonna have to wait years and pay like what a shitload more than you did the original game. Forget like quote unquote the complete game, the original FF seven storyline, because of the way that they're staggering development on that. That's a that's that's a valid criticism, I that, that is sure. a valid criticism, but when right, you but compare the length of the game, is like it, there's already like enough that is even. I would say it's even longer than the original game because the original game is not that long, to be honest with you. It's like, but people like to blow it that it's like super long, but because because you know people played like you know FF seven, especially for a lot of them when they were younger, like it was at a time when like PS one RPGs felt like they could go on forever, you know, because you didn't know the scope of the game, but like you just like kind of. Explored probably more than you needed to, yeah. but it was three whole discs. That's right. It's like sixty hours long RPG. It's the longest thing ever, guys. And, and, and then you're th- and you uh, you also think about that like a lot of that game play the uh, game time is also conflated by random ba- battles. You know, just like hey, you're running around this hallway. There's like five random battles. It's more extra time on top of that as well. Like I, I feel like it's impossible to finish a lot of the RPGs these days because everyone feels like they're like 100 to 150 hours long. Cough personified will, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But um, even then, that that that's almost like the exception to the rule. I feel like I, I feel like that's like the 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 last 100 plus hour uh, RPG it? that like a lot of people feel like they've finished. I mean, is it though? Because like the I, last like four yeah. Trails games have been like 80 plus hours long. 
maybe maybe that's with all the god fight right yeah I, I, I th- i'm thinking more mainstream uh, like you know trails is a very niche hardcore fan base i would uh, say i think if you tried to like get through all the side quests and read all the dialogue i'll take forever dude. Uh, I like think. i i i don't think i don't think like the, the number of people who have co- consistently completed trails games to go like you know and followed it are as a much significantly less number than people who played persona 5 to completion yeah mainstream wise you know I, I remember when persona was niche <laughs> not niche anymore yeah. i remember when well, atelier was niche and now it's knocking on a million uh we'll find this new series that's not niche and we'll make it mainstream ask libra guys we have yeah. everybody in our discord channel to play it and they all do and they all plan them it down but um i i'm really looking forward to see like what what things they have uh, decided to keep and what things they decided to cut in the Resident Evil 4 remake. I have not really spoiled myself on anything. I'm like, what's what's really next? I'm really excited to like progress more into it. I really want to see if they have the laser hallway scene <laughs> in the game. That People love maybe the lasers back in the original because it came out at the same period of time as the movie came out, the live action movie, where, mm, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. where there's a laser room that cuts people, you know? So fucking stupid. <laughs> and then it's like Leon dodged everything and you're like, yep. Leon's a pro. These guys are scrubs. It's it seems so weird that there's no QTEs in the game though. Like I'm still trying to wrap trying to wrap my head around that. It's like I, I understand why you don't have QTEs anymore for sure. Because like even even back then, like the Q like this was during a time when like QTEs were kind of like they were very, new. very actually well, not new, sort of new, but they were very very sensitive of like what like the inputs that they demanded. Like you had to be you had to actually time it well and like mash enough to get through it like as qtes throughout the years progressed on like they were kind of like more like lenient about like like oh like you mash a to get through this and like as time went on it's like you don't have to mash a that much but resident based resident Evil 4 you're like fucking mash that fucking a button for dear life to run from this boulder or else you're gonna fucking die he just dropped it and you just press one button to dodge it really (laughs) it's not it's not quite the same but i don't really like qtes i think they're some of the worst yeah, that's uh, why they got rid of it. You know, yeah. it's like it, it's a very—it's uh, not a popular mechanic to put into games anymore. It's not something that people really like doing. It's like anymore. we throw this thing out of nowhere, and you got two seconds to react to it. And if you're not, you're a dumbass, and now you're dead. That's like, right. It's like <laughs> skill issue. It's like what? <laughs> like, no, they're the worst things ever. And you know what? Even some RPGs have QTEs, like Final Fantasy 15 Dash too. Like, mm-hmm. Why do you have QTEs? Why not? Like, uh, not to mention uh, Xenoblade. Yeah. Oh, but, they even, but they even got rid of QTEs in the third one. You know, they, they don't have the on-screen uh, controller prompts anymore for the, th- the Xenoblade 3's battle system. Honestly, good. <laughs> like, 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 it threw me off. I was like, where, where am I? why can't I time? Where's the circle with the A button to time it? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> I love how uh, if you emulate Xenoblade uh, Cross, uh, one of the things you can do is you can just uh, turn off, like, auto-complete uh, the QTs, which you kind of need to anyways, because if you play it at 60 FPS, that's, like, the one thing that's broken otherwise. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That must be really fucking hard just buy him, like, manually. Oh. Yeah, I can see it. But yeah, I mean that's just that that's our uh brief Resident Evil 4 remake discussion that uh branched off into uh, 10 other different topics. Yeah, it's RPG site, Resident Evil playing game site. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, it makes sense.
Well, those two games were the two games that I'd earmarked a, a longer period of time to discuss. I put a two other games here to just look at maybe uh, 10 minutes each. Uh, I talked about in the last section how I had finished Octopath 2 um, in the last week. Now, we've already talked about Octopath 2 like two or three weeks on this podcast, so I'm not going to dive into it uh, any more detail there. But I do agree with James's assessment that it is really good, and I won't be surprised to see it competing for a top 10, if not top 5 spot uh, later in the year. Um, one other game that I just started uh, later this week and a little bit this morning, I'm about 20 hours in, is that I've been playing um, Wolong Fallen Dynasty. Now, this is another game that we've talked about a few times on this podcast, so I don't want to go spend too much time on it here. But it's mostly been um, primarily James talking about it, with along with, I believe, Josh had played a little bit during that PC stress test demo, whatever they called. Uh, so I figured I'd just chime in here a little bit just to offer my own. Uh, opinion at least uh briefly especially as someone who is coming in thinking really highly of neo 2 and really eager to see what this team can do um, and eager to learn about the, the you know the setting of this game as a, a fictionalized version of the three kingdoms era of of china uh one thing my my brief thoughts right now is that at a high level this style of game to me is just it's just comfort food i just i love the zones i love the combat just and I'm I, I'm gonna I I can't have this conversation without avoiding the word souls like, but I've just been it's just it feels like putting on you know a comfy pair of boots or some old some you know some some familiar shoes that I just it's it's familiar it's not shaking the boat it's not doing anything novel in terms of the way the game is compartmentalized, so I'm really just enjoying that familiar feeling. Uh, what is new to me is the combat is much different whenever when james was talking about wolong back when released earlier in the month uh the primary point of comparison wasn't really neo though there was a bit of that it was more sekiro than anything which is a game i actually haven't played it's the one from software game that i just haven't um, played yet uh so the speed and the style of combat is a little bit different for me compared to uh compared to neo though obviously there are several points of comparison where those two realms uh, overlap uh i have actually I kind of see where James was coming from when he talked about how a lot of the weapon types in in Neo 2, the weapon types each have very, very involved, intricate weapon art trees or skill trees, the ways that they work, where that's kind of absent in Wolong. Wolong in general, the progression is a lot more streamlined. And James explained it at the time, but I didn't quite, I guess, latch onto it with the way that when you when you level up in this game, you basically have five attributes that you select. Each one is tied to an element. And that kind of compartmentalizes everything. Your weapons are scaled based on your strength of specific elements. Those also determine which spells you can cast. Uh, they also determine your they, your raw stat increases. Um, like melee damage is mostly tied to fire. Stealth is mostly tied to water. Things like that. So it's very, very streamlined in that way. Which I don't, I don't dislike it, but it just feels very different. Like the the fact that I'm leveling up very frequently, I'm only like on the sixth main level and I'm already like in, I've already leveled up maybe 20 times or so. And I'm like, I guess I'll just keep dumping into fire because my weapon scales off fire. That gives me melee attack. And that's kind of what I want. I guess I could put a little bit into water because that gives me a stealth ability that I want to be able to cast. So that's kind of been a big shift for me is that I don't really have to think about build craft all that much. It's more based on skill and execution. It's more of an action game in that way than an RPG, though obviously still very clearly an RPG. Uh, the combat itself, I remember one of James's uh, notes that he stated is that the 
the red-eyed critical attack that pretty much any monster can do from bosses to the most basic undead zombie are basically the the bread and butter of this game's enemy combat and design where if you manage to parry that you won't really have an issue with anything like that's the one skill you've got to get even decent at and once you do everything else just kind of comes along with it and it's it's very generous like i i've played metal gear rising way back when and i was i was dog shit at parrying in that game uh and even in like dark souls i always use a shield rather than the um the the shield parry in that game which is much more deliberate and slow but in this game i feel like i'm parrying everything not because i'm good but just because the window is very generous so it makes you feel like a badass which i actually don't don't mind <laughs> but I, but there's certain times where i'm playing um well long where i see like i have like two or three enemies on me and i'm like i end up going into like panic button spam mode I'm like oh shit mm-hmm. parry 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 and I end up just fine. And I'm like, well, I survived. That wasn't based on my skill or luck. It was just kind of like sloppy. I outlasted them. I don't know if I deserve to survive that encounter, but I did, and I'll take it. Wherein that's the one thing where I feel like this game comes up slightly uh, short of Neo 2. In Neo 2, every time I beat an encounter, I knew that I had learned the fight. I had executed it well. My build was well set up, and I basically had practiced the the fight because I had died a few times. Or if I lost a fight, I knew what mistake I made. I knew what I needed to do better. In Well Long, there is still plenty of that. It's not completely randomness chaos all the times, but it's not infrequent that I survive a fight where I'm like, I have no idea how I survived that, but I'm glad I did. So that's the one thing that just doesn't, it doesn't feel as tight. It feels just a little bit looser, a little bit sloppier i'm not trying to say that as a judgment call it just feels less deliberate and more like just you can outlast your opponent if you deal more damage and have more health than them um yeah i think i think that's the the, the weird thing about wolong is like yeah, there, there's that whole morale system where you kind of level up in stages and mm-hmm. like and th- th- there's a certain point um where you can like kind of like level up enough to kind of quote unquote over level the boss so if you're mm-hmm. having trouble like with the boss like you just have to kind of like if you want like you don't really have to but if you really want to just like over level the boss and you've been dying um you can kind of like quote-unquote grind on enemies to like get like you know go over their level or if you just haven't if you've been playing well and didn't really die at all in the level you'll probably be primed in a position where you just like naturally over level them so like any hit you take isn't as much as like you know what they would normally do like if you were on par with them or maybe one or two levels below them it's kind of a weird cadence to it um it, like it's it doesn't it to me like none of the bosses in that game i i did complete the game like never really felt as intense as some of like neo's more crazy bosses yeah it's like it's been fascinating seeing like the thing like with with these types of games, you'll always have like certain bosses that a lot of people have like the most issue with like uh Melania and whatnot from mm-hmm. like Elden Ring was like the one that a lot of people had trouble with. But it is striking just how consistently like the one boss that people have a trouble with in uh, Will Long is either the tutorial boss or uh, Lubu. That's basically it. That's the two bosses I've seen anyone have any trouble with. Everything else is just like, eh. 
I actually yeah, struggled. Uh, I actually struggled with the boss. It's like a plant viney creature that you have Hong with you casting the lightning spells. Uh, but yeah. even then, when I say struggle, like I died to it three times, beat it on my fourth. Which yeah, maybe I, maybe for some people are like, wow, that's terrible. But for me, like that's actually like know. not too bad. That's not too bad in terms of number. Yeah, of I, I mean, like we're talking, we're talking about struggling. I mean, like people have like like maybe like maybe it's like ten plus tries. You know, like for Melania, obviously, like for a lot I, of people. Uh, I like, couldn't oh, beat well. Melania until I used Mimic Tear before they um before they nerfed it. <laughs> well, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, but you know, but the, even on some like Neo bosses, like there are definitely some that will take you over ten tries because you're trying to get a like a, a flow of like how the fight goes, what their attack patterns are, you know, what what are your opportune striking times depending on your build. Um, Adam, so who's forth. that? Who's that asshole that had the two fire axes? I hate him. <laughs> but I remember Neo. both. Yeah, both. The, both me and Adam yeah, struggled with dude. that dude. Yeah. Or I not Bull, uh, the uh, like uh, elephant dude. I remember that guy in Neo too. Mm. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, I, I mean like I don't know. I don't want to be, I guess, too harsh because I I did enjoy a good chunk of my time with Wo Long. Um, but I think by the last third of the game I got bored with it because it, like I was pretty much done with my quote unquote build of choice. I did like a earth build and I, I was mainly uh, pole arms. Um, it, it was very, it was just very like, you know, a, a good survivability uh, build that focused on like, if I, if I, if, uh, my, my thinking was like, Hey, like this game kind of becomes obsolete because of like the numbers game that you do with the morale system. Mm -hmm. And if you focus on survivability, uh, you, if you die, uh, if you die less often, if not at all, in a level, you'll get to a point where you kind of overlevel the boss. You'll be on par. Uh, you'll be slightly overpower them. You won't take as much damage. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of like where, where my, my what my approach to that game was ultimately. And like, and and my and my tactics weren't like really ever challenged. I was like just deflect well and use like uh, my um, my stamina bar either for like enchanting my weapon with lightning or um or get uh get heals back uh uh every time i hit something but i like none of none of my martial arts are really worth a damn to to uh to spend my stamina bar on because it was all about sustainability mm. and you know and and kind of just lasting and that was basically it and maybe to, to some extent maybe it's my fault that like i just kind of focus on a on a more quote unquote boring approach, but I was like, yeah, That's... you over optimized. <laughs> but I just like it's like, but the game never really challenged me, like you know, to to, to really to to really push me to do something different, I guess. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like for me, it's like, well, Long's a great game. I'm not gonna say mm -hmm. sit here and say it's not a great game. It's just mm -hmm. like if it's like I keep saying, like there are specific things about Neo that made it like beloved by so many people that are just straight up not part of uh well long and it's like they were right to to not say oh it's like a neo game they made it its own thing because it is its own thing it's yeah. like there is no guarantee that if you like neo that you'll like uh well long and vice versa i think there is potential to like make a very very good game out of it like if it got a, like a follow-up a sequel i think that like the 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 building blocks and the foundation the pillars are there they just need to like kind of rethink some of the gameplay systems and balance uh, systems that they kind of put into place. Like, uh, and uh, and uh, think like you know about like some of the encounter design. Like, I think I think I think, if they, I if think they, a if minimum. They, go for it. 
I think a minimum for me that I, I keep thinking back to is that there's only ever the one response to an enemy attacking you, and that's deflect. And Sekiro yeah. understood that you needed to have some attacks that you either had to jump over or you had to do the uh, the Mikuru uh, counter. Right. So it's like you very specifically had to be looking out for those tells. It wasn't just, oh, deflect and not to mention Sekiro's like deflect, like parry was way tighter than uh, yeah. than Will Long. But I feel like that's something that's important, like like from software understood that, yes, you can have a game that's prim- primarily based off of parrying, but things will get old really quickly if that's literally the only thing you have to do for fights. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. Um, I I think of, uh, a lot of it for me is like like you said. I think they need to start if they're gonna make a follow up to this game, uh, like start introducing like new encounter types and encounter designs that that emphasize that like the flag cannot be the only answer. Like there are these these sorts of like attacks and attack patterns will like will break through the flag and will damage you if you try to deflect them. If you like, if you can try to think about it. You have mm-hmm. to find other new ways to counter them, new ways to sort of and, and like make sort of like your builds and uh, matter. Like it's kind of weird that like for a game that tries to emphasize like the the martial arts part of it, a lot of the martial arts kind of just feel kind of toothless in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, because uh, some of the martial abilities are really good at breaking the enemy, but so is just pairing them. <laughs> yeah, I will so. say, um, I, I in general, I like the. Well, maybe like is a strong word, but I appreciate the morale mechanic. It's something different. I think it kind of rewards exploring where you and the way that the battle flags and the and the what I forget the small flags are called the war, the war tracking flags. Um, I just think it's I think the level design in terms of the environments are I'm really I'm at a level right now. It's like a snowy battlefield between um, the, the varying armies led by Sun Jian, uh against um, Dong Zhou. And I just, it's a really open map. It's got a lot of different like alternate paths. You've got the ballistas raining down on you, which is a fun gimmick that doesn't feel like it overstates its welcome. It's not too punishing. And I I like where I'm like, should I go down into the valley? Should I go this way? Oh, this way I can make my way up and around. I just, the I levels think... themselves are a strong carryover from Neo 2 that I'm enjoying just, just taking my time and being really exploratory and finding all the, finding all the nooks and crannies. Go ahead, James. I was just going to say, I think that level in particular you're talking about is probably the one I like the most from. Yeah, I mean, I think you've that too. I'm like, yeah, I think that's like the last standout level that I was like, yeah, that was, that was well, a really well, cool approach I, I think, that. I think the one that deals with the water levels is also very good. Mm-hmm. Water but I, I, I would say there's definitely, it, it's the level design in that game is also kind of hit or miss. There's some yes, really good levels. And place. then, and then there's some ones like the, uh, the one with all the ships where it's like it's very easy to lo- like lose track yeah. of where you've been, where you are, because all the insides of the ships look exactly the fucking same. I, like, I, oh. I don't like that level. I don't like exploring the sewers with Cao Cao. That, that was the, like, I like Cao Cao, but I didn't like exploring the sewers uh, in that game. It was like, I'm, eh. I don't really enjoy the environment layout in that. But, you know, it, it, the, it's, a, it's an interesting, like, uh, like, I can't hate on the game too much, like, uh, because I, cause I am a, a Three Kingdoms fan. I like... I like Three Kingdoms. I read the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. I played the Dynasty Warriors games. I'd be stupid to say that, like, ah, oh, man, I, like I, I really dug like the interpretations of those characters. In this game, I played, I played the game of the Chinese uh, voiceover, and I was like, this is really damn good. Chinese yep. voiceover they did. Damn, so, that's a surprise. 
but <laughs> I thought they usually don't include Jap- uh, Chinese voiceover. No, they did for this, and uh, they, oh, that's they, a good they, thing. They, yeah, they 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 knocked that out of the park on that end. So, but yeah, I'm enjoying uh, Wo Long. It's mostly because I just enjoy this genre of game in general, mm-hmm. and it's something different because I don't have the Sekiro experience. Uh, plus, a lot of the strengths that I did like from Neo. Neo 2 specifically, I haven't played the original, uh, are still here. And it's different enough where I'm like, no, this is something different for me. And I, I enjoy just that in and of itself. They're definitely, uh, if they're going to do a sequel, I feel like they're definitely going to like do an equivalent of like Sekiro Firecrackers <laughs> in, the, in the sequel. Oh, absolutely. I hope they do. Uh, yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be great to like kind of uh, like weaving in consumable items into your combo and like and making those things like dramatically shift up like the tempo of fights will there be a fight in uh will long two that also feels like it was directly ripped out of dark souls 3 uh you know i mean you kind of almost got there with the tutorial boss fight and it like flings out its arm almost so um maybe The very last game i have listed here just to talk about very briefly uh is a game that came out in december that we have talked about in a few contexts, but I don't think anyone here got around to actually trying until this week. And that is, of course, the remaster for Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, uh, which has a full title that I'm blanking on right now. Uh, Crisis Reunion. Core Reu- Reunion. Reunion. So I think, uh, did all of us play the original PSP version? I assume so, but uh, I don't I know have. for certain. I have. Nope. Sure. No, you yeah. didn't. Okay. Uh, James did briefly oh. for his preview. I, I yeah briefly I uh, after I played a bit of the remaster I was like well obviously I need to play a bit of the original to get a proper like uh, judge of how things have changed I booted it up played the tutorial battle immediately deleted it from my uh, system yeah the original game is not that great you basically it, it, just it, stay it, out for the ending it is it's one of those experiences where like it has aged poorly in game because it was designed for a system that only had one analog stick and they had to design the entire game around that uh, well that's everyone really feels this way but does it feel like uh like a mission-based gotcha game but without the gotcha it's almost so so a mission-based game does anyone feel that when they played the original? <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it, was like, it was kind of stupid, right? Because, like, you know, that that's kind of like the the whole crux of the system. The the what was it called? The the, the digital mind wave DMW system. What's it called? Oh man! Well, 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 maybe we, maybe we should hand the conversation off to uh, Adam. Had just recently played through and finished the uh, the Crisis Core remaster. No, I think you guys are doing a good job. Yeah, it's like pulling teeth to try to get Adam to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> I, I like how Adam's just sitting as like you guys are fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam, are come we, on. You, you have you have to have one opinion. You have to have one one opinion on one opinion on Crisis Core. Okay, so I'm pretty neutral on this game. The ending is great, but um. What Sean was trying to get at is that this game was made for the PSP in an era before smartphones. And so there is a design to this game that I'm not talking about controls. I just mean the design of this game is mission based where there are 300 missions in this game. A lot of them are really bite sized A lot of them have like or almost all of them have like no story relevance to anything whatsoever. They're just like little like. Oh no, we're testing new weapons. Go ahead and beat up 12 enemies or whatever it is. And so you go on these little like tiny maps to fight some battles and then fight a boss and you do this 300 times in these missions separate from the main game. 
it's very clearly designed to be like a commute game where you're on the train or whatever in before smartphones where you couldn't just browse the internet or play a phone game. You're like, well, let me get out my PSP and just do a couple of missions, you know, kind of like a time waster. So that's kind of what the design of the game was. And the remaster, it's all intact. It's all there. So it does kind of feel like if this game came out as a new game today in 2023, the mission structure just wouldn't work. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, you just 300 random small, tiny missions that are, have, like, no relevance to anything and are almost copy-paste? That's kind of what the game is. So, the, you know, it's taking a game from 2008 and re-releasing it now in, like, a different context on platforms, on PC and whatnot. It's very different. Uh, you know, kind of mindset in a sense. Now, the game itself, uh, if you're somehow not aware, is a prequel to Final Fantasy VII, the original. Um, it stars Zack, who, if you played Final Fantasy VII, you might know, like, oh yeah, Zack was mentioned a few times in that game, and it's sort of a spoiler. I know uh, James has not played Final Fantasy VII, so he might not know exactly what. I mean, not everyone knows what happened. <laughs> Everyone knows what happened. Well, you know what happened, but you don't know like how Zach relates to Cloud exactly and whatnot. But yeah, uh, the end of the game is you know kind of the highlight of it. Now, Final Fantasy VII Remake seems to switch that up. I should mention this game doesn't have any remake content. Like it doesn't have like a new ending or anything like that. I know people were wondering, and obviously I'm three months late to this, but it's just in terms of the story and everything, it's all the same. Um, but obviously it's good context for those who may be like, I'm thinking of someone like George who used to write for our site, who he played Fonfi 7 remake. He loved it. He never played the original. It's like, well, this game might offer some context to future entries of Final Fantasy 7 remake, although it's technically not like in that same canon or in that same version of Final Fantasy 7. So that's a key reason why they released it. I think is it does offer context regardless. Um, but yeah, otherwise the game itself, the uh, the combat system is much faster, much smoother. You don't have that DMV slot machine kind of like pausing you every 20 is seconds. Is it DMV or, or did you say DMV? DM, DMW, sorry. <laughs> uh, and uh, it also makes the game a lot easier. Uh, I know this is kind of silly, but the, the fact that the game controls a lot better and isn't like pausing you all the time, it's, it's an easier game now. Uh, the reason why I played it really was that Square Enix released a ton of games last year and I got to, you know, half of them, but there's still several I haven't gotten to. I'm like, you know, you play this game. It's not very long. Even doing absolutely everything. I think like literally absolutely everything. I think I was like at 25 hours. So not a very long game. Um, and like I said, the game itself, you know, you can you'd learn more about Zach. His new voice is kind of weird. Uh, I think the new Genesis voice is actually really good for in English. Uh, not talking about Gact, but uh, otherwise the clips I've seen, the voice acting feels very stiff. But I see like the voice actors, like when they did the Seven Remake, they were very excellent. But the clips well, that's the thing. This game, I, this game doesn't have like choreographed cutscenes. Not very many. Most of the scenes are like pasted over PSP models doing like canned animations, and then you like slap a voice on top of it, and that does it no favors. So. But anyways, I remember when yeah. you were playing it, you were streaming it in Discord and maybe this was obvious, but the expectations for what this game were, at least through the marketing, were. 
I guess they were framed in a way where obviously all the marketing was showing the game at its best with a couple of fully, you know, animated scenes like, wow, this game is actually more of a remake than a remaster. But you're basically saying like, no, it's very clearly a PSP game and it's at its skeleton. Like, it's, it's not even trying to hide it's it. It's definitely a remaster. If there's no question about it. They took some assets from Final Fantasy VII Remake and kind of, like, slapped them over some of the geometry and textures. But, like, otherwise, you can very clearly tell, like, models are doing canned animations over and over. Uh, very battlefields are very, you know, basic and simple with uh, what my friends like to call Japanese flat game, flat, Japanese game flat ground syndrome, where they just have the, all the ground is just like completely flat. There's no terrain or texture or anything. It's just like a barren flat field uh, because that's how it was in the PSP game, of course. So, you know, it, it very clearly is just a PSP game with like new assets pasted over the skeleton of it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's 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 fine. <laughs> That like I said, I'm it's, pretty it, it. it's fine and it's short. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Crisis Core is such a like you said. It's always gonna be like a battle. When I think about Crisis Core, it's always gonna be something like I just played in spurts and never like something. I I sat down and played for like multiple hours. It just never was that kind of game for me. It, it also has a, more mini games than I expected, which you know, <laughs> coming off of Final Fantasy VII, is maybe maybe should be expected. Like I completely forgot there's a section where you're running along a field outside of uh, his hometown, I think, and you like there's like a sniper mini game where you pick up a sniper rifle and shoot these robots. Like I forgot. Like, yeah, 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 like, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, this mini game, but, oh. but yeah. But how would hmm, what would a Crisis Core remake look like if they tried to maybe remake it? Is that uh, even possible? I'm not even gonna answer it. It'd <laughs> probably just be like Final Fantasy VII remake. Again, it would be it would be it would be like an appendix to like a Final Fantasy VII remake game, like like a tier. If whatever Final Fantasy remake, what's the second one called? Rebirth. Uh, rebirth. Uh, rebirth. Reunion. Whatever. Uh, if Whatever Final Fantasy VII Rebirth does, I could see like now you get to play that's the Zack chapter potentially, or learn his history or whatever, and it's the chapter prologue. Yeah, like an appendix of some sort. But yeah, or whatever Square Enix wants to do. But no, I, yeah. I at least I know I know it was a bit. I know it's it's a game that we kind of had tempered expectations, but figured we hadn't had a chance to speak to it. I don't think at any length of, of any sort on the podcast, so we gave it a little bit of its window here. Uh, kind yeah, of a known commodity. Yeah, I would like to play that and hear Gact again. Mm -hmm. Well, that covers us for the games we've been playing section. So thank you, uh, James, Josh, myself, Adam, and I guess Chow basically had played all those games we had talked about. Uh, except, except for Wolong. Yeah, except for Wolong. But... I mean, we could talk about Free Kingdoms, and we could talk about there the failures of Sima Yi. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, God we'll... damn it, Chow. We're going to alienate our whole entire fucking listener base if we get into it. it can't, we can't do this. Well, well, yesterday, before we, me and my friend watched anime, we spent two hours talking about the Free Kingdoms. We are talking so... about how Simai's reign of terror... Well, not really reign of terror, but how his descendants all got fucked up. I mean, like, ultimately, like, Sima Yi was kind of like the quote-unquote quote winner because the descendants, you know, Jin came I out of the how, I love how Josh says... God damn it, Chow, you're going to alienate our whole uh, listener base and then immediately starts getting into himself. I'm sorry. Whenever you get three kingdoms, you're like, you want to talk about three kingdoms? You should talk about three kingdoms. You're right. Yeah. 
think it's the greatest uh, story ever told. Okay, dude, it's such a it's a such a fun thing to talk about it. Well, we'll head into our feature shout out in our news section here. Uh, we actually have a handful of features up on the site in the last week, and I believe uh, we have three of them listed, or four of them listed, and I believe three of them are all from James. Uh, a couple of these are topics that we've already gone through on previous episodes of this podcast, so I don't think we'll linger on them too long here, but we'll still shout them out because uh, James has written up and put them and published them on RPGsite.net. Uh, in no particular order, uh, we talked at the very end of the podcast last week about how, of course, the shutdown of the Nintendo 3DS and Wii U eShop is stranding several games, not just RPGs, but lots of puzzle titles and interesting titles that will no longer be available to uh, to purchase and download. Uh, so we, since we covered that on the podcast last week, uh, maybe not any additional discussion here, but James wrote up his thoughts about from a preservation angle about how disheartening it is that those things are shutting down and we don't have like a solution in sight for the, the practice in general and just the preservations of games across the industry, across different publishers, is not in a good state. Uh, James, I don't know if you had any other additional context that you wanted to put on there or we'll just move on uh, to the you, next uh, one. You um, pretty, um, summed it up pretty well. I'll commend James for the, for the main uh, image of choice to use to uh, advertise this uh, feature. <laughs> Uh, I was uh, looking through my uh, Xenoblade Cross uh, playthrough screenshots, and I saw it, and I was like, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. To be clear, he does keep the images of the countdown clock in Xenoblade Cross. Specifically the cutscene when they it, introduce it, where they say, yeah, that's not just like any clock. That's literally a countdown before we all fucking die. <laughs> Good game. second. The second feature that went up on the site, very straightforward. Um, it's been a while since we've officially reviewed as a site a Destiny 2 expansion, uh, but James took the time to play through uh, Destiny 2 Lightfall. He's talked about it on the podcast, I believe it was either two or three weeks ago at this point, uh, but he formalized his thoughts on playing through the expansion and wrote it up as an official review on the site. So now we have another Destiny 2 expansion review on RPGsite.net for, for Lightfall. Something tells me it'll probably be the last because it does not look like that review is doing well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Gave it another shot. So, oh, well. Here's a feature that I didn't even know that you had written. Um, I must have just missed it or I was really busy in the middle of the week. So when, I might have not seen it when it gone up. Uh, we've talked on this podcast early last year, back in January 2022, when Pokemon Legends Arceus came out. Uh, all the Pokemon games that released in the last 12 months, we have kind of spoken how it didn't set the world on fire, but it was enough of a shakeup that was worth a little bit of commendation for, uh, for that series. And you wrote up a feature whose headline is... Pokemon Legends Arceus proves that there is a place for Pokemon Coliseum in 2023. Now, that is a very targeted headline, so I'll give you a chance just to speak to it here uh, about what this feature is going for and like uh, what, what specifically you're looking at here. Yeah, so that feature kind of just uh, happened because during my shift, uh, I, I asked uh, Alex exactly, hey, what do you want me to focus on today? He said, well, we need more features. And I was like, OK, let me look at this calendar and uh, Pokemon Coliseum's uh, North American release date just happened to be like, I think, either the same day or the very next day. So I was like, OK, I think I have something here. Mm -hmm. uh, Pokemon Coliseum obviously was is uh, kind of infamous for being the first non handheld uh, Pokemon RPG. Um, 
And I say that, but I think the other thing is kind of infamous for is for how it's very much way more of a traditional RPG versus the uh, Pokemon games, where it's like you have a somewhat predetermined party. There's much less uh, options and choice for how you can build your like Pokemon arsenal. And it's just got more of a focus on a plot versus uh, the Pokemon games prior to that. Like, obviously, we've had games since like with Pokemon Black and White and obviously Legends Arceus and even like Scarlet and Violet to a degree. But um, Pokemon Coliseum was the first Pokemon the game trendsetter. to really have. Yeah. And uh, for a while, I always kind of thought it was a shame that we didn't have more Pokemon games like it. Like it's it's odd how like sometimes with games you can you can gain a lot by clamping down on the scope of what it is. And I feel like even if uh, Pokemon Coliseum wasn't perfect, there there was definitely some benefits to it. Like there's only it and XD Gale of Darkness are the only two Pokemon games you exclusively play with double battles. And I think it would be neat if there was more like Pokemon experiences that kind of focused on that. And I think that it would be really neat, especially now that like not every Pokemon game is expected to have the entire cast of Pokemon. It would be very neat if we had another game kind of more like Pokemon Coliseum structure. And the crux of the argument I made was that, well, Legends Arceus is very much a different sort of experience versus like mainline Pokemon, even compared to Scarlet and Violet, which came out after it. And I think that kind of proves that the series itself doesn't have to be so rigid and that there's room for mainline spinoffs, if that makes sense. Games are very much using a like the same sort of framework of the mainline Pokemon series, but not so rigidly in the sense that they're allowed to kind of be their own thing, to have their own like mechanics, their own sort of uh their uh their own sorts of uh I guess I use framework, but framework is also a good way of saying that. No, that makes oh, sense. No, no they can not yeah, I'm not sure if ever if uh folks agree with that, but I think that like as a project, Coliseum and XDO Darkness were interesting, and especially seeing that the series is uh, perfectly capable of being successful, even outside of the like tried and true formula. It would be nice if we saw more games like it going forward. I don't remember if I really got into Coliseum, but I really got into the stadium games on the N64. I kind of miss those. <laughs> yeah. What about what was that Pokemon battle game that came out like seven years ago? Pokemon. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, I remember that. I, 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 felt, I don't know how, how that is these days, that there's still a scene for it or not. Yeah, I know there's, it there's, was a, there's a scene for enough. I know that Pokemon DX got like a season pass of new characters. And after that, there was pretty much nothing. So it's like, I don't know, like if it was just like release timing or the fact that uh, Switch is not a great platform for fighting games unless you're uh, uh, your Smash Bros. You should uh, have Arc System Works make a 2D Pokemon fighting game. How and will not have to lay, the pro- <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I will have to lay that code. Yeah, after all, as we know, Arc System Works fighting games on uh, Switch are not allowed to have rollback. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I just remember, yeah, I remember the DNF Duel uh, announcement they did. In a few yeah, that, that's what Chow and I were definitely sub, uh, like um, talking about. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I totally, yeah, oh my God. Uh, this. Is that just like um? It's was, probably did, a CPU bottleneck. Yeah, did it just uh happen with like multi not multiverse um um the Nickelodeon fighting game wasn't that the case too where it had rollback on 
other systems, but not on Switch in like some cases. I think that was it. I don't. Did Mortal Kombat 11 have a similar thing? This is your guys' wrong, not mine. Yeah, I don't know. I, kind of, I, I think so. I think I think it might be just a technical limitation. Yeah. Ooh. It's like some people will be like get upset when you say that, but it's like, uh, uh, sorry to bring it back to Rise of Three, but uh, a side note about that is uh, because of it being a much more open world and also having to run on the Switch, there's a lot of uh, technical shortcomings in regards to the visuals and like like pop in and texture quality that's very clear it's like they had to get this game running on a switch first and foremost so yeah. uh especially when it comes to like smaller japanese games i think i'm less excited for a new nintendo console for the nintendo stuff but rather just for a new baseline for those sorts of games <laughs> I, I know we moved on from rise of three but i just have to ask does it feel like it's been compromised because it feels like it was uh it was built for the switch and now that the other visually yes Visually, yes. Got it. Even on PC, visually, you can tell that it's being it's restrained because that's it, it, fundamentally you are playing a Switch game that looks uh, and runs better. That's Sonic Frontiers. Yep. <laughs> well, and James has a feature on comparing the potential of Pokemon spinoffs, looking at Pokemon Legends Arceus and Pokemon Coliseum on the anniversary of Coliseum. Was it was it like a major anniversary, like a 10th or how? Tenth. It wasn't. It's way older than that, if, right? <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if it was a major anniversary. It might have been the 20th year anniversary, because I think that was 2003. Oh, yeah. Check. Yep. So 20th anniversary, 2003. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's actually a perfect segue. Uh, because the other feature that went up on the site is from one of our uh, newer contributors, Paul Screlly. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. Uh, he wrote up a feature just earlier in the month about Final Fantasy X-2 on its 20th anniversary. Both he and Quentin wrote up two features on uh, that game's 20th anniversary, looking at both its story and its, um, its unique approach to its battle system. Well, this week, it's a different 20th uh, anniversary, so lots of those coming up. Uh, and that is for Wild Arms 3. Wait, 20th? 25th? I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it's older than that. I think well, it's actually 21st. Oh, oh, no. Okay. No. So it's Wild Arms 3 was 2000. Frank. Wild Arms 3 was 2003 in the West. It was 2002 uh, in it Japan. Was, it was 2002 in Japan and North America, 2003 in Europe. Oh, gotcha. So... There you go. So 20th, 21st, what do you want to call it? Uh, and yeah, 1996 was the original Wild Arms. But anyway, speaking about Wild Arms, he wrote up a feature talking about, let's looking back at the Wild, Wild Arms series, obviously has been dormant for quite some time, has that uh, spiritual successor follow-up that was kickstarted last year in Armed Fantasia, which has fans of the series, you know, excited and looking forward to that, though it seems like it's still a ways off. Uh, but he was looking at, and basically... A retrospective on specifically Wild Arms 3 as, in his in his estimation, the best entry of that series. So I don't have experience with Wild Arms. When I think of Wild Arms, I know Adam's recently replayed. I think he recently replayed through Wild Arms 2 on the PlayStation 5's each, uh, not each shop, net, PlayStation yep. Network. Has trophies now, had to. <laughs> and as, as the person that I associate as a Wild Arms fan, do you agree with three being the best or do you disagree or what, how, what are your, what are your thoughts here? Like th three is a popular one to be the best, but people also really like five. 
and also one and also two. Okay. What about the spinoff? Uh, is it XF? XF is also very good, but it's a yeah. spinoff. Yeah. Uh, like it's a very good strategy RPG, but it's not a it's not a it's not a traditional RPG like the other ones. So the reason why there's such a like let me just pick out Wild Arms three and five. Um, a lot of people like three and a lot of people like five. And the reason one reason why there's kind of a almost a split there. It's because Wild Arms 3 has like the battle system and the other systems that were kind of built up in 1 and 2. And then they switched it up in 4 and 5, where they now have like this hex, hex. system. Yeah. And so some people really latch onto the hex system and some people don't. And all that system really is, is that you know, there's now like a positioning element to your characters in battle. It's almost like a mini SRPG or something. Where, like the Hexagon like uh, based uh, yeah. placement, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so you had to, like, not only... It wasn't just, like, a turn-based system, like, I don't know, Persona or Final Fantasy, like, classic Final Fantasy. You also had to position a unit in a spot. And 4 and 5 added that. And some people really liked it, some people didn't. I think 3 and 5 are both excellent games, and I really wouldn't fault anyone for saying either one is their favorite. Uh, but he was... Uh, Paul basically was... This, this article was mostly just, like, a late review... He didn't really have like any hook to it other than I like Wild Arms 3 and I'm going to write about it, which is fair. Um, but yeah, Wild Arms 3, the only thing that he criticized, which I agree with, that kind of the older Wild Arms games were kind of trying to play around with was, was when you're exploring the world world map, you kind of have to discover spots on it. And you discover these spots, but like dungeons and towns and whatnot by talking to people. And then there's like a search function you do on the map, which is in practice it gets a little bit tedious where you literally just kind of run around the map pressing the search button and like where is it where is it i tell you the search system is the worst thing they ever introduced and it all started from two yeah uh five has a similar system but i'm if i remember correctly, yeah, every game has a search system after two. i think five even, is easier even the remake of one has the search system so then it's all back with trash or doesn't that's uh, <laughs> why well, yeah, I guess there is that. I'm saying even the remake of one included the search system, and that's the worst thing they ever did. So I am sticking with the original. Yeah, but that was the one thing that Paul mentioned also is that the search system is just kind of you kind of have to deal with it. I don't know, like it's like it's a system that never worked out in the first place. Why just keep it mandatory? You know, I don't know why they think that system is good. But I don't know. It's also like the olden days where there wasn't much internet feedback, so. If there was any criticism, no one's gonna really know. But yeah, like like Adam said, it's kind of a late review of Wild Arms Three, but hey, it's always kind of good to see a different opinion on a game, especially when that game came out before RPG Site was a thing. So I think it's always nice to have kind of a catalog of retro reviews, even if they're not reviews in name. Especially if you know Arm Fantasia gets you know spins up into its marketing cycle, and I know it's not a Wild Arms game, but or, or only is in spirit. But if it if we have you know Wild Arms games that are accessible through like the PlayStation Store or you know God willing they end up on PC or something like that, uh, be cool to kind of have some of these to be able to look at. I'm just gonna say, am I am I strange to think I, I like the first game the most for me personally? No, not at all. <laughs> no, that, that's that, that's a that you you see that a lot in the in, throughout the Wild Arms uh, fandom as well. Yeah. I also think like the villains in the first game is really cool. The middle demons, it's like these guys. <laughs> Are like so frightening when they first showed up. When you see that little balloon goes in the sky, and the sky turns fucking red. Like, which one? Yeah. Which one's the one that has the dude that punches the missiles? That's four. Okay, that's my favorite one. Just out of, based on that alone. 
That's the only thing I have to judge on. Not not only does he punch missiles, but he jumps out of a plane and he has like, he has like, like a, it's like a shot. It's like a single barrel shotgun, like a one handed thing. And he like is flying through the air by shooting the gun as like, like (laughs) that's how how he propels himself. Yeah. He's like flying through the air, shooting his guns as propulsion. He's shooting the missiles and then he runs out of bullets. So he punches the last one. I mean, that's, that's how you do it. That's right. Wild Arms pretty much a consistently good series throughout its entries. You know, I, I don't think you can really go wrong with any single one of them. Or does have some interesting components where, like, each place on the map, like each dungeon, has like a kind of an optional puzzle you can solve in the dungeon. And once you solve that puzzle in the dungeon, you can turn off encounters. It's kind of interesting. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, as you go through the dungeon the first time, you have random encounters, mm-hmm. like you did in that era. And then some of the other games mess with, like, you can delay encounters for a while or whatever, but it, it was just like, hey, you, gems, you, right? solve Isn't a, it? you solve a puzzle, and once you solve the puzzle, you can delay encounter, or you can turn them off. I, I might be getting some of the details off, because it's been a while, but it's it, there was, it, was, it was location by location. I was just going to say, you collect some gems in, in some of the games, too. Yeah, like, those gems are, like, healing and whatnot. You just pick up. Well, that covers us for the uh, the different features that we have on the, have up on the site. So go ahead and give those a read. Uh, we have the three by James and then the one by Paul. So here we are. We're two hours in. We're going to go into the news section here. Uh, not a lot of major headlines, but the number of headlines here, uh, we're, we're kind of filtering in a lot of release dates, a lot of 1.0 releases in April and May. So I'll try to keep the discussion on each individual item here uh, abbreviated to make sure that we can get through all of them in a timely manner. Um, I guess, Steve, yeah, before we dive in, I just want to give a follow-up on the FF16 PAX East panel thing. Um, oh, yeah. it, it, it concluded the live stream experience was kind of a mess with like the multiple times of the stream going up and down. There's not really any new news uh, that come out of it. They're just basically kind of introducing the game uh, and then uh, answering some questions. They did show some more gameplay and like and the times that were they actually got like like with uh, Dushida actually got hands on with a controller to show off gameplay. The stream died, so it's, it's supposedly going to be archived at a later later point for everyone to watch. So just mentioning that, like you know, not, nothing new came out for FF16 out they of that didn't demo. No, they didn't announce anything as far as I, I know. fully expect a demo, though. Square Enix's demos are everything. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, I hope so down the line. Maybe, maybe, hopefully, maybe like they got month. scared after Forspoken's demo. <laughs> wow, I, I have a silly question to ask, Adam. You said you finished a whole catalog of Square Enix game. Did you finish no. Alan Wonderland? No, I, I, I said Square Enix released so many games last year, and I couldn't get to all of them. That's why I played Crisis Core. Like, all right, this came out. <laughs> but would you I, play? I was playing Minstrel Song when Crisis Core came out, which is a much better game. I still, once I get back to Octopath Two, the very next game I'm gonna play after that is uh, Harvest Hell because I still need to finish that. Yeah, oh, I... long. Yeah, so many long RPGs lately. It's just kind of ridiculous. I think that's why I went with Resident Evil 4, because I know this game won't take up <laughs> That's like, oh, I like no more RPGs. <laughs> we give up on RPGs. I was hoping for Crisis Core to be short, and Dragon Quest Treasure is another December release that Paige covered for us. I'm, I want to get to that and 
apparently it's also not too terribly long. So I'm like, thank God. Dragon Quest Treasures, I, I, it is now it is now far into the point that like maybe just wait for a PC. Wait, port. Yeah, wait, wait for a PC port uh, or a random Game Pass deal where it just shows up on like Xbox, like, yeah, like what right. happened with Builders Two. Yeah. Uh, if it's it depends on if it's a six month or a year exclusivity on Switch. If it's six months, we'll probably see it in late May. If That's it's uh, if it's uh, not, then we'll probably we'll probably see it uh, at the end of the year. I'm in the rush. So looking at the headlines here from the news front, there really isn't a clear. This is the thing we have to talk about first. Uh, but I knew what it what it couldn't be. So there's a thing that I earmarked for a second. Uh, but first, I'm going to talk about a headline that I was not expecting to read. Um, there are there is no media attached to this, uh, like trailer, screenshot, logo, art, or anything. But Adam, I'm looking at a news post that you put up just a couple days ago on the 24th. Uh, the headline reads, an action RPG based on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles graphic novel, The Last Ronin, is in development. This is supposedly revealed by um, a vice president for Paramount Global in an interview with Polygon. So I don't know yeah, if there was Paramount any expectation. Paramount Global, I guess, is who owns TMNT. So they're like the, the license holder. So mm -hmm. they're not necessarily the publisher of this game. And also, we have no idea who is developing this game. So it's basically just like as soft of an announcement as you can get. Uh, but they're making, yeah, an action. They call it an action RPG. But there's an interesting comparison that they uh, use. And they compared it. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the guy compared it, not just the Polygon editorial, but the was the Rosen was his name. He was like the the president of yeah, the Doug Paramount Doug World. Rosen. He's an executive yeah. at Paramount. Uh, he compared it to God of War, like the recent God of War titles, which is a little bit kind of like weird ground. It's an inside joke, kind of. Yeah, I, I I was actually very casual in the, in the article on this. I'm like, well, we like RPGs, but we don't typically count God of War as an RPG. For our scope, even though you can argue, yes, it has like skill trees and stats and whatnot. So like it could be, but we didn't cover it. Uh, so anyways, that's the game to compare it to. We obviously haven't like seen anything yet. Uh, and I guess I'm not a TMNT expert. Are any of you? I don't think so. Yeah, I like TMNT, but I, did, I didn't read The Last Ronin. Uh, yeah, the Last Ronin is a graphic novel. Like I think it was like five volumes that came out in 2020, so not that long ago, that features one of the turtles in like uh, a futuristic New York wielding all the different weapons of all the turtles, and there's a story behind all that. So uh, it's like, I guess it's going to be like a single player game. They do mention, Rosen mentions that there might be points where you play as other characters because that's how the novel works out, where like the, it'll follow different characters at different times. But otherwise, yeah, this is all speculation. So I covered it because it's kind of interesting because yeah. I know uh, they released that Shredder's Revenge game uh, .emu did uh, like last year or was it two years ago? That was pretty well received, I think. Do you yeah. know what this announcement yeah. reminds me of? What? It reminds me of like it's so rare nowadays that we get a game announcement without anything to go with a logo like uh, I mean, in other in other medias like in film media. I think this would be more normal, but in game world, it's different it reminds me of when uh jedi not jedi survivor what was the first one fallen called order. fallen order was announced it was oh, uh yeah. vince was it vince impella it was yeah, um, yeah. he was he, he was sitting in a chair at like the ea e3 event and, and it's it just like yeah 
special chair. It was like front row, but he was just like in the crowd, like in the yeah. audience. And he, and I and I remember he was just like, yeah, we're making a Jedi game. It's gonna be about the dark times. Yeah, it's gonna be neat. <laughs> and then this is this at least at least has a title. Oh yeah, I, I remember <laughs> now. Yeah, that was so good. It's like and I can't really say anything else. <laughs> that's what this reminds me of. It's just some executive being like, yeah, we're making a we're making a TMNT game. It's gonna be like God of War. It's gonna be great. <laughs> it's like okay. Um, hey man, it, look! If it leads to like something like Jedi Fallen Order from this, then sure. <laughs> um, yeah, this is. I don't know. If it, it's it feels far off. I mean, it, it's cool. I would like to see it, but it feels very far off from uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Even say so, it's a few years. Yeah, probably so, more than a few. You know, game development is hard. So, well, I mean, the let, yeah, I mean, the, the last few TMNT games have been good, like Shredder's Revenge, like you said. There was that TMNT like arcade collection, mm-hmm. uh, separate from that, and then like I guess the only like the, the only one I remember like before that is like the Platinum Games TMNT game. I don't remember anything about that. I just remember I those were like very bad games. I almost put them bankrupt or something. Well, I mean, they 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 just kind of like uh, to keep the lights on. They did a lot of license projects, right? Yeah, there was yeah. even the Transformers one or something. The Transformers game was neat. I like the Transformers game from them. I still have it before it got delist- delisted. Wow. That was a fun game. I still have it. I can play it anytime. All right. Here's the second headline. Uh, Compile Heart has announced a new Neptunia game. So this couldn't be the first headline. You just didn't. Yeah, win. yeah. Well, well, what hey, okay. Okay. I, I, yeah. okay. Here's here's the question. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to our uh, hyperdimension Neptunia expert, uh, hyperdimension Kieran. Uh, is this actually a new game, or it's... is this another uh, remaster? It's not a remaster. It's a new game. It's not a oh mainline game. Oh my god! It's been oh oh never mind. It's a new game. It's not a mainline game. It's still a spinoff. What's what's the what's the name of this game, Brian? Uh, Neptunia Game Maker. Uh, help! Help! <laughs> 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 it's right there. What the hell? <laughs> the Neptunia Game Maker. R colon evolution. So it's okay. revolution. Both R and E are capitalized, but there's a colon between the R, R and the E. Help. <laughs> Help. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, the, yeah, this what is was, a new. So uh, I, I want to make sure I have okay. my Neptunia right. recent history. All right. There um, we go. Straight. There was that remake, remaster, remake, whatever that came out for PS5, which was the original game packaged again there was the one that was neptunia cross uh senra kagura yeah and then there was sisters versus sisters was that the same or different that's That's a different spinoff so 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 in in english so in the last like two three years we've had the the crossover spinoff the sisters sisters spinoff and then that remaster of a remastered yeah. one. We, we, we've been on, we've been on Neptunia spinoffs for like five years, dude. That hasn't been a mainline game since like Victory, which was like oh, 2015, 2016, maybe twenty seventeen. <laughs> we've been we've been on it's been Neptunia games for a long while, and and it's always the same thing with every single one of them where people like victory and we're like oh we can't wait for the next mainline title because victory was like a fun game and then they never made another mainline title well, again. well here this is this is actually surprisingly topical i'm just going to read this paragraph that uh adam put in here um this is described as a 
spinoff entry featuring adult Neptune in a warring states-like era where the three mm. main game developer nations are competing with each other. So Free Kingdom's Neptunia. Yep. That's what I was thinking. Uh, so this is, this is like a fire, right? Because like the like yeah, the... it could work. It could work. There's the three uh, main. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like 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 the, like the it's not the, Xbox, PlayStation, and whatever. Yeah, there's like more like failure, uh, like historically failed like game consoles in the past. Like the first ones that they because let's let's bring it back. The Tunia series, uh, like as like parodies the the game industry and like the the the. The traditional three main characters or four main characters are the, the for, I'll start with the side ones is like a, a personified Xbox representative, Sony representative, and Nintendo representative. And then the main one, Neptune, is like is a fictional what if Sega made another console after the Dreamcast representative. Um, and uh, in, in, the, in this one, um, you have one of the major characters that was first introduced in the last mainline game, Victory. Adult Neptune. She's a fun character. Wait a minute. Um, wait a minute. I did not actually realize because I don't play Neptune yet that that's good. who Neptune's supposed to be. Does that mean after that one Sega Hard Girl spinoff that she's officially a Sega Hard Girl? She's technically. If you, <laughs> but but Adult Neptune is a different character from Neptune. Um, yeah, this is how it is. Adult Neptune is a separate character, if I remember correctly. Just like Baby Mario is a separate character right. from regular Mario. Yes, exactly like that. <laughs> I don't know why, but I really love that comparison. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for it, but I'll agree. <laughs> so are you telling me that we will see Engage Chan and Ouya Chan? Oh, okay. So let's, let's wait, 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 wait. Oh, oh my god, are we gonna so, see are we gonna see a stadia uh, Chan? So here we right now, like we uh there are three game developer goddesses who lost the race to, for market share in this game, and then now, adult Neptune, who came from another dimension, is like, you know, she's now having to revive, like, fallen developers. Uh, and, and, like, the three fallen go- goddesses ask her to become the present, the shacho of, uh, you know, saving the gaming industry. So the first three that they introduce in this game, Sanako is back as the, as the illustrator for this game, is PP, which is supposed to represent the Apple Pippin, Jarga. <laughs> Which is supposed to represent the Atari, Atari Jaguar and Ledeo, which is supposed to uh, represent the 3DO. So th- those are the first three that they've shown off. They have their own, you know, special forms as well, and then they have like a shitload more of character slots at the official website for this game. So I, you know, anything like the the sky is the limit for fucking failed video game consoles. Yeah, just just to be clear, in the, I've covered enough of these games. I haven't played any of them, but I you know, get some of this by osmosis. Mm-hmm. But um, in the regular game, the, the characters are called like the CPU goddesses, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But in this game, these like other characters are called the failure goddesses. So they're yeah. like, they're like the personification of failed consoles. And we know those three. Mm-hmm. And I guess there could be more later. Yeah, so. there could. Yeah, there could be more because there's a lot of character slots still to be filled in. So, you know, yes, there, there could potentially be an end gauge. You know, representative here. I, I made the Ouya joke earlier. Also. Did, be, yeah, Ouya's not off the table. Stadia, Stadia I, Chan. I, I think it's the Teleview. I feel like the Teleview is almost <laughs> guaranteed if they're going to do, go down that route. You know, but it's. uh Have you ever played a Teleview game? Like, I, for emulation? That thing is the it, worst it, UI in order to get a game running. Bad. It's really. I, I, I played it like at a relative's house. 
a lot of many years ago. <laughs> many years ago. They had one lying around. I didn't know what the fuck it was until many years later, though. I didn't know this was the LVO. Until, like, I saw it. Like, a screenshot. I was like, oh. Oh. Yeah, some very relics. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, once again, it's a it's a Tatooine spinoff title. Um, you know, I think I think that's like the one hook about it that's like really funny is like failed video game console representative. Also, they haven't really described this in detail. It apparently has like a combat system not too dissimilar from other games in the franchise. But it also has like this game development, like management system. Oh, yeah, yeah. Part of the, or part of the title, really, Game Maker. Mm-hmm. So, like, they haven't really shown that, but that's. It seems like it has this other subsystem that'll play a pretty major part in it. So, yeah, if you're an fan, look forward to that. Yeah, there might be like a yeah, management sim, like significant element to it too. That you know, maybe will manifest in a cool way. I don't know. It's always. I'm always very like, uh, it's another spinoff Nintendo game. Not to say that I'm like super excited for the next mainline one. After like five or six years, it's just like I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know what I want from Compile Heart anymore. Maybe I don't want anything from Compile Heart anymore. Maybe I'm just like you know, or Idea Factory. It's just like yes, or but you know, people say sisters versus sisters. If you're a Neptunia fan, it's like been the most fun to play one for forever. And look, the last one I had to, I played that I had to review was the Neptunia VTubers game. That was god fucking awful. All right. The last uh, um, compile heart game I reviewed was uh, Ark of Alchemist, which uh, basically. Uh, uh, what do you give it? Uh, a two? Yes. <laughs> also, uh, well, no. Well, there was one person that called me a dumbass for it. But the thing is, is I was vindicated when that same game showed up on Metacritic's worst games of uh, 20. Uh, was it 2019 or 2020? One of those two. It literally showed up on Metacritic's worst games of the year list. So I was right. <laughs> God. Well, you know. Yeah, I, man, I, I don't know what I want from Compile Heart. I, do, I don't know what, but I'm going to fucking play another Antonia game at this point. I don't think. What's the last thing I reviewed for them? Maybe yeah. FN Request? I feel that game would have worked out. Okay, you know what? I'm not getting a decent game from them, you know? <laughs> It would have been better if it was a visual novel. Yeah, like I didn't like up. Yeah, I didn't like the gameplay aspect, but as a visual novel, this game would be like god tier. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, Neptunia Game Maker help <laughs> our uh-huh. our revolution <laughs> <laughs> comes out uh, August tenth in Japan for PlayStation Four and Five and Switch. Um, it'll get some more details in the next uh, episode, episode, the next issue of Famitsu Magazine. Uh, and I don't know what the typical turnaround time for getting Western announcements. Uh, I mean, I mean, it was already uh, featured that Famitsu issue already came out. Oh, uh, uh, it did. Okay, sweet. Yeah, sweet. This isn't actually uh, an announcement, but it's kind of the teasing of one. And this is like, I don't know any if you can go more 180 degrees from the tune to this than what this is. Uh, so THQ Nordique is teasing the possibility of re-releasing the classic RPG Gothic on Nintendo Switch. Now, this doesn't look like it is related at all to the Gothic remake that was available to play on Steam and didn't seem to do very well in my recollection. This uh, is the demo, you mean? Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the pre-play demo, whatever it was. 
which I, I just remember the feedback to that seemed largely negative or at least very lukewarm. Uh, this looks like a uh, there's this basically is a lot of images from the THQ Nordic um, Gothic game, like social media channels. Uh, using like they show a screenshot of the original gothic game saying we decided to switch it up for a bit and tease something different stay tuned and uh last year they had shown like a, a new year's post with a nintendo switch on it with a gothic screenshot on it so it's kind of like very thinly veiled teasing of releasing gothic on switch um gothic originally released in i believe 2001 very much a cult RPG. It was originally developed by Piranha Bytes. Um, Especially in Europe. Uh, I guess a lot of Europeans of a certain age like have very, very fond memories of this game. So don't have any idea as to how that game feels or plays or would do in a modern environment. But again, kind of goes back to that game preservation aspect. I don't know if a Switch release is the most ideal place for game preservation, especially when the game's already on PC, but just to make the game uh, more available to more people, especially those that have like an innate curiosity about what this game was like, if they're maybe too young to have played it when it originally released. So if it gets a Switch port and the Switch ends up being a system that that can potentially do well on, then I'm, I'm all for that sort of experimentation. Why not? I, hmm, I'm just thinking like... Uh, the the thing that I, I the, the image that pops up to my mind is like a like a, a a train full of old Europeans playing Gothic One on their Switch. Mm-hmm. Like yes, finally, bringing our childhood on the go. <laughs> and the last announcement that we have here is the announcement of another King Arthur RPG. And I'll be honest, these are starting to blend together. So I'm going to try to do be be charitable here. This is King Arthur Legends Rise for PC and mobile, announced by Kabam Games, published by Netmarble. Uh, Adam, I don't know actually, if you saw <laughs> This is actually kind of funny. They actually, I actually originally put... Actually, I think I need to change this. Published by Netmarble, developed by Kabam. And they actually emailed me, and they're like, "No, Kabam is a studio of Netmarble, but it's actually being published by Kabam, not Netmarble." Like, oh, okay, uh, I'll change it. <laughs> understandable so <it's> a... <laughs> mistake, because <laughs> so... Kabam, which I'm not very familiar with, is a Netmarble studio. So I just kind of made the misinterpretation, I guess. So this was okay. announced at um at GDC, it looks like, or at least that's where it was showcased. Uh, there's this very short preview trailer, literally 30 seconds, mostly artwork logo, a few snippets of gameplay. It has an isometric, uh, very um, Baldur's Gate-esque feeling CRPG feel to it. There's some screenshots. The screenshots are a lot of like close images, basically showing off like the model and texture work rather than like the gameplay actual isometric perspective on it. What this reminds me of is that wasn't there like this really grim, dark King Arthur game that came out like a year or two ago? King Arthur Knight's Tale. That uh, was a lot of the same thing. Yeah, April of last year was another isometric King Arthur mythology game. So that's why I kept saying these are starting to blend together in my mind. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot of voracious appetite for more King Arthur King Arthur themed. King Arthur. This, this King just Archer. feels like a. It's one of those free-to-play mobile games that I like. I have no idea if it's similar at all, but it's, it's like Raid Shadow Legends or whatever. Just kind well, of like, Netmarble kind of yeah. kind of gives that away a little bit. So yeah, it's uh, it was announced at GDC. Uh, it's announced for PC and mobile devices. No other details on a release window or things like that. So figured it's a new uh, game. Oh, that this, uh, this does have a, a Steam page, and one of the um, features on that Steam page uh, is collect Arthurian legends. Hell yeah. How do you think you're going to collect them in this game? 
Uh, hopefully you gotcha. get Saber. Well that's, well, that's what that's what you do in the Fate games, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, just like Fate, you're right. Summon a ritual, <laughs> draw whatever star that you have, and put mm-hmm. some candles. <laughs> Press roll. Yeah, this has this. It seems like you have like base building the same too, because one of the things is advance your kingdom of Camelot. Play anytime, anywhere with cross progression. Now that that other game that came out last year, King Arthur's Knight's Tale, is very positive on Steam. So hmm, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, if only I had free time, but these games were all too long. <laughs> that covers it for uh, for game announcements. We have a couple new trailers here. Uh, there was another trailer. I believe this also came out of GDC. Uh, this is a technical showcase for the upcoming Lords of the Fallen from CI Games. This is slated to release this year. Uh, this trailer is, as you might be able to glean from its title as a technical showcase and coming out of GDC, it's it's a, it's a lengthy trailer. It's about four minutes long, but it's primarily a lot of slow panning shots. Basically looks like a kind of like an engine teardown more than well, anything. It literally has a narrator saying like, well, this is how we do the lighting. And sometimes it, since this is, you know, if we do lighting in this way, it's very taxing. We add these little like I don't know the technical technical term, like these little orbs that we kind of place into the environment that help basically give texture to the, you know, it's very technical mm-hmm. um, and how they get the visuals to look the way they do while trying to main, maintain, you know, processing like bloat and whatnot. More so, importantly, more importantly, there was a name change of this game. Yep. They got, the, they got rid of the, the. So, so if you go on Steam and you search for Lords of the Fallen, they, 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 the old game from 2014 is now just labeled Lords of the Fallen. 2014 on Steam, and this new updated one went from the Lords of the Fallen to just Lords of the Fallen now. So, so it was Lords of the Fallen. Uh, I hope I get this right. Lords of the Fallen came out, then Lords of the Fallen Two was announced, then Lords yes. of the Fallen Two became the Lords of the Fallen, and now it's just Lords of the Fallen. 2023. Okay, not even 2023. Just it's just that. There's just Lord. <laughs> well, well, the that's 20 how people are going to call it. That's, that's that's what I put it on the site. Well, yeah, I I just said the 2023 thing just because yeah. like when you when you've got the remake yeah. and you know how you how you differentiate these two games ten years from now, like Tomb Raider mm-hmm. or Tomb Raider 2007 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So right. So yes, you, you I, I, I wonder I wonder how that meeting like like what boardroom were the like. Having like a bunch the, of overpaid execs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the meeting was someone. Yeah, the meeting was someone going. The Lords of the Fallen is going so fucking stupid. We need to do something. <laughs> that was the meeting. <laughs> Man, you know what? Titling video games is hard. Okay. Mm-hmm. Look at Capcom. What are we going to call this game? Resident Evil Four. Like okay. All right. What about the old one? Resident Evil 4. No, I think one is all caps and one is normal title case. Okay. Uh, I I know for like for the listing on Steam because it's like it's also for the Japanese. It's like like it's like one of like now they're going like Resident Evil and then Biohazard. and then it's like slash Biohazard. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, how they've always listed Evil. their Steam pages, which is a bit. Yeah. I guess it's maybe not strange. It's just very very complete. Yeah. Yep. No 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 ambiguity here. That's because about the Japanese super like, what the fuck is Resident Evil? What are you talking about? Well, speaking no, of speaking of Netmarble, I'm gonna move it on here just because I know we have a few more headlines to go to. But speaking of Netmarble, uh, they also during GDC announced or showed off some more gameplay footage for an upcoming Seven Deadly Sins game, Seven Deadly Sins Origin. 
So I, I clicked this game. It was originally announced back in 2022, but this new uh, footage from GDC 2023 is the first time it looks like we've covered it on RPGSite.net. Um, so this is a follow-up to the seven, the seven Deadly Sins Grand Cross. Uh, it looks like this is kind of another kind of uh, mobile-focused free-to-play game. I'm presuming. I wouldn't say it's a follow-up to Grand Cross. Grand Cross is like a, a separate mobile game that's like more card. Well, that's literally what they called it on really? their official website. Yeah. Yes. Dang. Okay. That, wow. I, I didn't back it. <laughs> Dang. I uh, because uh, yeah, I know that was from that was from Netbar, but I didn't think it was like a, they would call this a follow-up because it seems like a whole new game entirely. So, Adam, it looks like my understanding is that this this project was announced a while ago. It kind of went dark for a while. They came the first and, time they've actually shown it. They so they showed about think, you know two minutes of yeah they showed two minutes of footage at GDC, but still no other real details about a release window or anything. Yeah, I mean this is uh, this is more of a like a definitely Genshin inspired. <laughs> this putting it lightly, I suppose. Well, but it's, well, well, we're we're gonna see more of those, I presume. Yeah, I mean it's an open world action RPG. The UI and the way you play it definitely is Genshin like. And like a lot of the gameplay they show here is like you, you have a, a, a seems like an original character that you're controlling, and then you have like a party that you can either either summon through your attacks or like do. Um, it uh, you know it's it, it's hard to say like what it does like different I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, from the, from just like the few minutes of footage i just i'm just kind of surprised they they could call this a follow-up to um grand cross because i played a little bit of grand cross when that release and this is that that's a very different game because it's that's that's a turn-based game and then like you have a, like a card deck system in it to like initiate command so like you kind of say you get like duplicates of cards in like in your hand you can like combine them to make a more follow or more powerful attack something like that so i don't know if that if this is like if this is like linked at all like story related or otherwise because they might just call it a follow-up because it's the same ip and it's the next yeah maybe like they're just at a a super high level yeah so i mean i don't really have much attachment to this outside of like there are some i like i watched like the first two seasons of like the show and like it wasn't like that it was like amusing i don't know if i'm Really looking forward to this either. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I, I, any games that like try to copy Genshin is just like, I don't know if I care. <laughs> it's like you already experienced it, so it's like nothing new. Yeah, me and Andy haven't. Uh, we do have one sales update. Uh, that is that Code Vein. That's a game we haven't talked about in a while. Uh, Bondi Namco's anime aesthetic Dark Souls like game that came back out came out in 2019. Has reached three million units sold, which is not too shabby. Uh, it looks like it. Actually, yeah, it, actually, my friend put that into context. It's like outside of something like, uh, like the Souls series and some of their fighting games. That's probably one of the best selling titles for Square or for a Bandai Namco. That's mm-hmm. better than most. That's better than practically every Tales title. Better than a lot of their anime, you know, licensed stuff. Like not 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 as much as some of their fighting games and Souls, obviously. But otherwise, pretty good. Well, I just just because we were talking about it earlier, and I was curious, I looked up some news, and it looks like like that's around that's that's in the same ballpark as Neo Two. In twenty twenty one, Neo Two sold two point five million. I'm sure it sold more since then, but in the same ballpark, like Neo Two and Code Vein have are sold, selling on on a similar order of magnitude. So that's pretty darn good. Yeah, I've I I wonder if they have any like future plans for that. That seems to be. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, like, 
how it got there, you know, pretty much like when I remember when this game was coming out, like uh, people like to say this is a fine game, but I didn't think it actually like sell this much, you know, it just didn't seem like that from where I stand. The cynical way to look at it is that I saw some people saying this on Twitter, like, well, it's been on sale for like ten dollars every other week. Of course, it hit three billion. Like, well, the thing is, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's like a that's people try, try to treat that like an asterisk, like yeah, it's been in, it's been in you know, bundles or five bucks a pop, but you know, so so are so many games these days. It's still, it's still a milestone. Mm-hmm. When's uh, Scarlet Nexus gonna get three million? Uh, did Is we ever get a sales update for Scarlet Nexus? I feel like they had like one million players because they had to include Game, game Pass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, whenever a game's on Game Pass, it makes it harder because like one million players. Like, well, okay, so it's not technically sales, but sort of. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Video games are weird. But sure, I mean, do, do you think we're gonna see a code oh, being? Yeah, Scarlet Nexus has sold one million, and then Game Pass helps it to two million. Oh, okay. That was last year. So, should, should I play Code Vein? Yes. Okay. No, I'll wait. I'll wait for that. Yeah, I'll wait for that ten dollars sale. <laughs> There's still quite a few headlines here, but it looks like most of these are like updates or release dates. So hopefully this will just be something that can kind of rattle through pretty quickly. Uh, Elden Ring over the last week just did another one of its major updates. It's had it's had a handful of these, so I don't want to get too in the weeds. But uh, the main thing here is that it added support for uh, HDR and ray tracing, or maybe it was just ray tracing and it already had HDR, but specifically yeah, ray tracing. So I haven't I haven't touched the PC port since launch, but uh, I know it was not in the great state at launch, and it seems like they put in a lot of work to try to improve it. And of course, they've announced without a lot of fanfare or details the the Shadow of the Erd Tree expansion coming out. So I'm looking forward still, to revisiting with some. Of this I still stuff. laugh at how they announced that and when they announced it. <laughs> it was like it was like in the middle of the night in the West, like everyone was asleep. They just sent a tweet. It's like, yeah, we're making this. Peace out. Well, well, I remember on the podcast episode for that, like it was one of those news headlines that I just read the headline and moved on because it's like, okay, we've got a title and that's it. Like Shadow of the Earth Tree, it's coming. And then we had to move on because there's really nothing else to chew on. Hey, uh, I can't I, I can't wait to see like what the ray tracing looks like. I didn't actually like you know, I didn't I didn't want to reinstall Elden Ring for it just to see what it is, but like if the digital foundry it's, video. It's just shadows and ambient inclusion, which means that most of the time you're really not gonna notice okay. it. Okay. In in general, it's, it's since it doesn't have DLSS or FSR, it's people seem to generally agree it's not worth the performance impact. Oh, oh, that's that's okay. that's what I was gonna say. Like in in every game that I've had that's had ray tracing, I turn it on and then like experience for a bit. But then when I'm actually like wanting to just play the game, it's even in the best case, I'm it's just too much of a performance hit for for the trade off in my opinion. But I, I've been playing Resident Evil Four Remake with ray tracing and FSR. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess now that DLSS 3 is out and FSR has been massively improved since its debut, hopefully we're at a place where we can combine yeah, those. Yeah, it has to get support. support. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough about that, uh, uh, Alex Batalia from uh, Digital Foundry is basically saying that the FSR, FSR 2 implementation RE4 make is not the best, and you're generally better off using just the interlacing mode, which is basically it's a checkerboard rendering. Is that just like an option you can turn on in there? Yeah, it's it's an RE Engine option specifically for the uh, Resident Evil games. They have it. 
it's uh it, it's checkerboard rendering they generally seem to agree it does a pretty good job so especially if the options <laughs> yeah, especially if you're at a higher refresh rate it's going to generally do a decent job okay so. I don't know if this was a shadow drop, but uh, Nino Kuni 2 Revenant Kingdom got released for Xbox uh, last week on the 21st. I don't know. Is it I on Game it Pass 2? I think it was too? a shadow drop. Uh, yeah, well, it's on Game Pass. They, they had announced that it was coming uh, at Tokyo Game Show last year. They basically said the original Nino Kuni is on Xbox and the second one is coming later. So we knew it was coming. We just didn't have a date or anything. And then they just kind of showed up on Game Pass one day. I, I'm pretty sure it's probably a case where they. If I was Microsoft, I'd probably make uh, deals and then just like sit on games to have like a cadence of games to come out so they can say, here's your game cast uh, lineup for this month. Try to I'd imagine they probably yeah. have something like that. Uh, you're a level five, baby. It continues. Yeah, apparently. Did level <laughs> five even develop Nino Community 2? I thought yep. they only did the first. They did? Okay. Yeah. Here's another just about shadow drop of the week. Uh, the Voice of Cards trilogy over the last couple of years, we've had the three games release in like a year and a half. That's Voice of Cards, the Isle Dragon Roars in 2021. And then in 2022, we had Voice of Cards, the Forsaken Maiden and for Voice of Cards, the Beast of Burden. Uh, Square has announced the Voice of Cards trilogy pack for Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4 and PC, which launched on the 24th. So now these like little bite-sized, smaller, well, maybe bite-sized isn't the right word. These these smaller focus experiences that all kind of released in a rapid cadence, rapid succession, now have been kind of packed and bundled together and re-released on uh, those platforms that I just stated. Yeah, and also they're all they're they're now also uh, available on mobile as well. So, oh, okay. yeah, uh, yeah, and the, they they lend themselves well for a mobile touchscreen experience because you know, like them, you're just kind of selecting commands and just kind of moving from p from tile to tile you know nothing too elaborate honestly yeah. shout outs to square for continuing to be as far as i can tell like the only like publisher to consistently release actual games on mobile devices yeah they still believe in the premium mobile uh, game mobile market which is fucking amazing to be honest i mean they they gotta have like a decent enough like uh, return on investment if they keep doing it did you know you can buy the Trials of Mana remake and play it on mobile? I I think I I learned that from this from this podcast and that that episode. <laughs> I'm like, wait, really? Like, it's fucking crazy. I am pretty sure that smartphone is the only like platform where you can play the remakes for all of the uh, Mana games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they also like recently like went back and like made a mobile port for like. Uh, like the first Dragon Quest builders, yeah, and then like they they did they did some stuff to that like enhanced the mobile experience and UI for it too. It's like it's just like it's cool that they do it. You're totally right, and like I, I, in a in a better world, this is like this is where mobile gaming should have been like more premium games and more tailored experience for that instead of you know the current hellscape it has become. Until they uh, do a port or remaster for. Uh... Uh, War of the Lions, the only modern platform you can play that game on is uh, smartphone. Yeah. 
Well, that rumor has been been floating out there for literally years. So one day it's it'll been percolating. So hopefully, yeah. Look, it's just it, look, uh, it's just like how Metal Gear Solid Three is gonna get a remake soon, guys. All right. Mm-hmm. I can actually believe that though, since we have that Silent Hill Two remake happening. Final Fantasy Nine remake any day now. <laughs> just like the TV show or like the anime that's getting right. Yeah. I mean, if um, Legend of Mana have an actual anime anything's possible Man, I, 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 we're not going to talk about it, but that fucking adaptation went really weird it has got it went to really weird places i only watched the first episode so it's i don't so know weird. where it went it didn't go to good it, it wasn't good it, like where it where it diverged at a certain point and it it, it, oh, it was not good it was not. that's a shame this next headline is a little bit more of a deep cut uh that the wizardry the five ordeals that released last year in 2022 on PC. Now the game was originally from 2006. Then it launched on PC Japanese only in 2021. And then English language support came in 2022 for wizardry, the five ordeals Uh, it's getting a DLC pack called prisoners of the battles on March 30th. So if you are really the original releases, uh, the five ordeals was a PC game. Prisoners of the Battles was a PS, a PC and PS2 game, and it was almost like a separate game, but in that Wizardry Origins like grouping. So now they kind of attached them together for this re-release. Mm-hmm. I might have that slightly wrong, but well, like it's that. it's kind of a convoluted history, so exactly. it's a little hard yeah, to Wizardry is a weird history. So. But it's but it sounds like as of March 30th, you can get both of those little components together in English on PC for Wizardry: The Five Ordeals. So if you're a masochist, you can go enjoy that. that <laughs> is, I saw someone. I saw someone on Twitter reply like, "How does an early access game get a DLC?" It's like, well, it's sort of early access, sort of not. It's very strange. It's actually I mean, a twenty year old game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very old game. It's actually just recently. Um, it's being um, considered uh, as one of the twelve finalists for the Hall of Fame. Uh, that that uh, news barely came out like on March fifteenth. So, like, al- along with Wizardry, you know, the like games like Age of Empires, Angry Birds, Barbie Fashion Designer, Call of Duty Four, Modern Warfare, Computer Space, FIFA International Soccer, GoldenEye, The Last of Us, NBA Two K, Quake, Wii Sports, along with Wizardry, are being considered. Oh, the original Wizardry, okay. No, no, like Wizardry is the series, not just the original. Oh. Like NBA Two K, like like that's more considered as like a franchise. Aren't, aren't NBA 2K games like full on RPGs now? We should cover them. That's that's what I've seen. <laughs> Where it's like, you literally like go to the city and talk to uh, Jake from Allstate or whatever. <laughs> I mean, we I'll were, take your we word. Were saying for it. earlier, we were saying earlier about how it looks like Street Fighter Six is going to have that RPG mode. Do do we cover Street Fighter Six? I don't know. I wrote a feature for Grand Blue Versus because it had a single player mode that was like an RPG, and uh, I wrote a feature for that. So we'll, we'll see. We'll, we have a lot of talking to do, I if guess. We, if we get level ups and stats, then. Mm. But does, does it have floating damage numbers? That's, that's mm. the ticket. That's, that's Only the if you do trade. You know, you know a game, a fighting game that did have floating damage numbers and level ups and stats. Um, Blaze Battle Blue Fantasy. back with the uh, oh, Abyss yeah. mode. Abyss mode. <laughs> no, but that was more like a roguelike. What was I thinking? It's not Battle Fantasia. It's like it was like the shiny, uh, the shining game. I don't know if you leveled up. I I think there was like damage numbers in that. I don't. Know. 
But anyway, yeah, I mean, wizardry, it's cool that, like, there's a modern, quote-unquote modern wizardry game that's, like, getting continual support uh, on, like, on Steam. Um, and it being, like, it's it's kind of weird and somewhat heartwarming to see that's like, it's being considered as one of, like, the finalists for the Hall of Fame. You know, it's like, it's like you think about, like, the legacy of wizardry and what has it has done for the industry over the years. So it's kind of kind of inspiring, you know. That's still it's still kind of trucking along, doing its mm-hmm. own thing, and fighting the good fight out there. Whether you agree you agree or disagree with how it does things, it's kind of separate matter. But it definitely brought out like it definitely expanded the RPG genre in very important ways throughout the decades. Moving into, uh, I was going to move into uh, April releases. Yeah, I was, I was, I was just going to end it. I was like, whether you're masochistic enough to, like, you know, enjoy, enjoy them. Yeah, that's a separate matter, <laughs> too. Moving into April releases, uh, the final expansion pass wave for Fire Emblem Engage will launch on April 4th. It is called the Fel Xenologue. At least that's what the story scenario is called. It seems like it is a side story where you take it takes place at an alternate version of the world where the divine dragons are defeated and it introduces new pairs of twin dragons. And it basically seems like it's incorporated very similarly to the uh, cindered shadows or whatever it was called for uh, three houses, where it's a little independent story beat that can supposedly be undertaken partway through the story where the levels are fixed You'll recruit some new characters. It's the four fiends or the four fangs or whatever they're called and bring them back. The four whatevers. Yeah. And then uh, bring them back into the main story once you complete uh, the Xenolog DLC. So in general, as people want it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I remember remember when this when this was announced, I remember uh, Adam made a comment just saying I wasn't expecting all the expansion stuff to be out within like three months of release. But yeah, yeah that's pretty much when it's going to be. Uh, yeah. But I mean, when you think about like the development of this game and like, uh, you know, like rumors and speculation of like behind the scenes of like, like th- it seems like this game has been ca- kind of done for a while behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, as part of like, you know, intelligent systems. It's concerns like me, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not, it's not crazy to think it's like, yeah, they, since they had so much like lead up to like the development of this game, and so much time that, like, yeah, it seems like the DLC was pretty much we we're just ready to go distribute as well. That's why it just came out so fast, you know. We just in, in some way, it is kind of like the the pessimistic, cynical like take on that is like, why did they just like include it into the base game? Then, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, if it was always like uh, developed with the with a separate budget for it's like this is going to be DLC content down the line, like if it was like a separate team, I can understand like from a development standpoint, they'd be like, well, got to charge separately. It's just very weird when it's very clear that this game might've been done for uh, a while before it released. And it just makes the time frame of uh, said content releasing be a bit awkward. It, well, it, it's, it's like, but I always think of like how, how ultimate Marvel versus Capcom three released in the same year as Marvel versus Capcom three, you know? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't an update. You had to buy a separate like yeah, uh, agree, disc. Yeah. Exactly. And they did the same thing with Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen, didn't they? I don't know if it was the same year. It was. It wasn't the same year, I don't think, but it was definitely the same exact thing because it was like only a yeah. disc release. Yeah, it was only a disc release. Yeah. 
So like you know, maybe maybe I'm old. I'm just, it's just it just it's just one of those things. Like it feels it feels like I get a bad vibe. Like when I when the DLC gets released too fast for something, and like it feels like maybe it should have been bundled in then if to the base release. But you know, that's just me. It, it, like I feel better like when it's like something like Elden Ring like announcing like a DLC that feels like it's been in like it it was clearly put into development either very late into the game like the game development cycle or like maybe something that was decided after the game released potentially you know but instead of like that was always like part of the pipeline of like yeah we'll just roll it in you know because it's that's just part of the system these days that's just me this next headline is another april release a game that we have not talked about in this podcast before it is a game that released in early access on PC in 2021, I believe, and that is a game called War Tales. It is an open-world isometric RPG that apparently has sold very well in its early access phase, and it will be going into its 1.0 full release on April 12th. I remember Adam, when he was looking at this, just kind of described it as one of those like sneaky popular games where apparently this game released in early access a couple of years back, and a lot of people have just really dug it. It's got 9,000 reviews on Steam, 90% positive. Uh, and the, even when we posted the news post, there's a comment on, on, our, on, on our site underneath it, some guy saying, I've already got 100 hours in this game. It's great. So I'm like, I don't know. Like, uh, maybe I'm, I'm kind of interested. The, uh, the, the trailer, the footage that's included is... Um, cinematic it's, it's cinematic it's it's kind of uh i don't want to use the word generic but it's kind of well-worn high fantasy so it looks like a very clear fantasy inspiration uh like tolkien-esque or king arthur-esque or whatever you want to call it uh it's got the isometric gameplay but it's also described as open world which i think is kind of potentially an interesting mix uh, i'm eager to at least potentially try it just because just because the word of mouth is so good it's one of those things where if this had kind of average reviews and decent word of mouth, I'd be like, okay, it's a, it's an it's an interesting fun project. But the, the word of mouth of this game just seems like, and again, this is War Tales coming out in April twelfth. It, it just kind of makes my you know kind of perks my ears up. I'm like, all right, maybe maybe I'll look into this. Let's see, see what yeah, see what, it's, what it's it, all about. It seems really neat. It also uh, supports like co op as well, like uh, mm-hmm. like a full on campaign with full four players. Uh, so if you like if you like if you're looking for RPG that like to just like play with your friends, you know. That that seems like a, a decent one. Uh, I wanna I wanna check it out too. I wanna see what this is all about. This this seems like a something that's just like a. I am always on the lookout for sleeper hits, the things that should you know maybe get recognized. One might say in a very crowded uh, genre. <laughs> Steam is telling me this game is similar to Divinity: Original Sin. I'm like, eh, I, I maybe, and also Octopath Traveler too. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> i don't know if that's yeah, actually true yeah, yeah. that's what that's what steve thinks but yeah that's war tales coming out in april uh i'll give it a shot all right i hope i can give it a shot uh also coming to april uh coming out in april we have the full release of honkai star rail at least for mobile devices and pc it will be coming out on playstation uh i believe that's five um later the date hasn't been confirmed it's uh, and PS4. oh it is four and five so uh, I know I know Honkai Star Rail. A lot of people like it's had plenty of beta periods. So I know a lot of people have actually already played good chunks of this game in those in those windows. Uh, but the full release will be on April 26th. Alongside this announcement, we got a lot of new screenshots um, and 
looks like Adam's linked a little bit of the program footage here. I don't know within this uh, stream recording oh, how much. Was, that was the official like press release. Like, watch this stream archive or whatever. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's okay. a lot. Of the, the stream archive is like developer commentary. Look, it looks like a little bit of music performances with some gameplay and art thrown in. I don't know to what it, like how that delineates out in terms of how much. Yeah, like, yeah like a turn-based RPG. Um, you know, the next thing I, from. Uh, I, I, uh, I saw some. Universe. Call it like Persona Five inspired RPG. It's like uh, you just need turn base. <laughs> uh, all right, Chow. What are you thinking on this? Yeah, as our Genshin expert, what are what is the uh, give us the lowdown on this? Well, it looks good, but I'm not sure I want to commit to another gotcha game. I had to quit another gotcha game to make time for another one. You know. Oh, so 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 Genshin is taking up too much of your time. That like. You're just like, I don't know if I can commit. Well, I have free gotcha games. I play Grand Blue Fantasy, mm-hmm. Epic Seven, and Genshin. There you go. Um, yeah, they, I, they, yeah, one of them has to go. If I want no, to all, all of them are basically second jobs, so, you know, you're, you're right. Well, I'm doing Grand Blue right now. I'm killing a new raid. I'm killing Siete. Like I said, they're basically second jobs. Um, I don't know. Should, should I try this out? Should I try it? I, I, I think it looks good. I mean, well, no. I like it. You I know what? Get... I was kind of surprised. Uh-huh. It didn't release on March 7. There's a character named March 7. You have even the app icon is March 7. But the character's name is March 7, by the way. And you missed the deadline. How could you? Yeah. How could you not release this game on March 7? Now they have to get another character named April 26th. <laughs> mm. DLC. DLC. You know, her name actually works out pretty well in Japanese. I think it was like Nana Mitsuki or something like that. Oh really? That's so stupid. I didn't think about that. <laughs> it works out in Japanese. That's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So Shao says this might be cool, and maybe I'll enjoy it. I guess I'll enjoy. It. I'm, here's what I predict. I'm gonna tra- I'm gonna do this like Genshin. I'm gonna play this for a lot in like two weeks, and then get through all the launch content, and then never touch it again after I run out of content. I'm always the late joiner. It's like you see, like when. It's like by the time when I was in Genshin, everyone's already burnt out and they were bitching about the stamina system. I was just like, I don't want to keep up with this game. If I, if I have to wait this long in between content and like and, and like the and the and the current content to like kind of do maintenance on it is like not that interesting. Then, but you know, this this might be more consumable because it's a turn-based thing. So you're you're not you're not exploring an open world. And burning dozens of hours doing so, maybe, and like if this has, I sh- I'm sure it's gonna uh, have cross progression between PC and mobile. Like maybe, I don't know. I hear, I hear, um, there's like up to a hundred free rolls at launch for this game. So if it's reroll friendly, maybe we're in there because that's how brain broken I am. You know, sometimes. I think Gotcha Games should just let you do unlimited uh, rerolls. It's like, I'm just I mean, going to delete the account and redo it until I get the roster I want. Pretty much. One, one would think at this point, but some, like, a lot of, most of them are just like, nah, fuck you. It's like, and, why and, waste and, my time? And, and, and think about it like this, Chow. If you let the, if you if you have to re-download the game every time to reroll, it's really good for their numbers saying, hey, we reached this amount of downloads and this am- amount of time. It's good for statistics and engagement. I, I hate I hate people using that term. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's just reality. That's how it is. It's like it's like you get a lot of people to show up, but if they didn't buy anything, then they're not customers, right? But you know? really, but the numbers go up. The in the the metrics to 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 show in business meetings goes up. 
So it's really it, good. It, it might not be money from customers, but it's money from uh, from investors that don't know any better. That's right. What do you think, Kyle? Mm-hmm. Now, do you support it? No. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to convince my whale friend that whales, every six-star in Genshin and six-star weapons, all R5, he has every single character, all six stars, uh, or you know, constellation six. Oh, yeah, you're gonna convince them to go uh, play uh, it, the game? and I'm gonna ask him, Can I borrow your account and <laughs> play it? <laughs> okay, I don't actually I... want to engage with the gotcha, I just want you to wail it for me, and then I'll play it. So, I, I mean, I have his access to his Genshin account, it has like everything maxed out, ranks constellation six, rank five weapons for everything. It's like, uh, how much has he spent on that game? Uh, he's not over a hundred thousand dollars. What? Yeah. Only over hundred thousand? Okay. Yeah, the account that's worth over a hundred thousand dollars are at my tooltips. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. Uh, I, I <laughs> hope he's rich. I hope so too. I'm so good. <laughs> I mean, he, he's either rich or in debt. There's like, there's, or, or is that one, or is that one, or he's uh, another one of those Genshin players that. Uh, Commits credit card fraud to pay for. He does not. Every time we talk to him, it's like, "Hey, have you bought that three hundred dollar figure yet?" All right, all right, all right. Okay, we're moving on. Okay, (laughs) as as one game in April leaves early access, another game enters early access. Uh, A game that was kickstarted in twenty twenty two, a tactical RPG called Zoria: Age of Shattering. I uh, had a successful Kickstarter campaign, and I was entering early access on April twenty seventh for PC. And I know as Adam covers these games, he likes to at least announce when they're entering early access and then under the understanding that it's going to be frequently updated upon uh, entering that phase. Uh, we, I don't know if they've stated how long they plan for it to be in early access, but typically it can go on for a year or more. So we will see on the other side once they release uh, past uh, version 1.0 for Zoria Age of Shattering. Going into May, May is all of a sudden getting kind of crowded. It always, of course, had um, Zelda as the big heavy hitter there. We talked last week about the uh, release date for, it was either last week or the week before, the release date for Atlas Fallen is also arriving in May. Trinity Triggers in May. Uh, 505 Games has announced that Miasma Chronicles, one of the games that uh, James was able to demo, I believe, late late last year, will be launching... Yeah, it was, it was it was your highlight of that five hundred five games uh, showcase. Uh, it will be launching on May twenty third. Yeah, it it it'll be good. I'm pretty sure, but uh, maybe not a great release timing for it. I don't know. Mm. Everyone wants to knock Zelda down a peg. Okay, they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we have wow. to get the attention somehow. <laughs> well, just squeezing in May. Also, uh, Caligula Effect Overdose for PS five is getting its port in May 30th uh, in North America, June 2nd in Europe. Even Caligula Effect is like, no, 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 Zelda. I gotta be here too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I respect the fighting the good fight. You know, take down Zelda, Peg. Uh, didn't Colin reveal one of the uh, Caligula Effect games? Uh, I think I reviewed the original release of Caligula and I thought it was kind of shit. I remember then nobody liked Lucas, the original release. Lucas reviewed the overdose version, and he didn't care for that version either, even though apparently it's better. And I know a Lu- lot of people that No do... one reviewed the second one. No one was interested. I heard it's actually well, good. Well, no. Colin was interested, but, but Colin uh, 
Yeah. He uh, couldn't because uh, he has a conflict of interest with NIS America. So yeah. Mm. Uh, the only thing I rem- uh, the only time I've engaged with the Caligula is I I think I watched that anime and I was like whatever. Uh, I didn't cool even look. know that had an anime. That's right. That had a cool opening song. That's what I remember. And um, and then I tried to play the overdose and I was like this is boring. <laughs> and then I stopped. Yeah, I know some people that really like those games, especially too, and and I believe them that that they're good. It's just uh, I don't know. It would be at the the bottom of the of of the list to to play for me. Um, in terms of like uh, in terms of like, would I rather play this or Caligula too? And like right now, ninety five percent of the time, it'd be the the this whatever this is. Not to say that Caligula two is bad. It's just like I just don't have a lot of motivation to. <laughs> Thank God I dodged a bullet. I, I was almost selling a site that I was going to do a guide because it looked like a persona <laughs> back uh, when it first came out. It's such a guy. <laughs> you, you would have been fine. It's just the site would have been uh, losing out. <laughs> I, I look now. Okay, here, here. I can only get to those games if there's a child guide for it. <laughs> I, I need someone to hold my hand. The very last headline I have here, I don't know why I marked it last. Uh, it's a confusing one, but it's one that Adam accounted for. The headline is Wrestle Story is a hard hitting, smack talking RPG adventure set to release for PC at some point. And I read this game. So there's this headline about Wrestle Story. I'm like, wasn't this game already announced? And no, in May of this year, Skybound Games is releasing Wrestle Quest for PC and pretty much all consoles. This is being published by TikTok Games and is Wrestle Story being announced for PC. So we have Wrestle Quest on the way in May and Wrestle Quest on the way past that. There's so, TikTok as in like a separate TikTok like thing. It's not TikTok the social media platform. Uh, no, it's no, it's TikTok, TikTok the, uh, the the sound. <laughs> yeah, not T I T K T O K. No, just That's just T I C T O C TikTok TikTok games, yeah, not 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 related. Yeah, not related. No, good good shout. Uh, not related <laughs> to the to the social media platform. But yeah, so wrestle wrestle story is announced. You got an I got an announcement trailer. Uh, it's only slated for PC. It doesn't have a release date. It's you know an RPG wrestle hybrid adventure. It's kind of got like a Dreamcasty 3D art style. Okay, not quite yeah, not pretty- not quite cell shaded, but it's kind of that sort of vibe. Uh, it's weird that there are two turn-based wrestling RPGs in development. <laughs> That's why I got confused. I'm like, yeah, wait, I, I was gonna ask you, like, isn't there already another? <laughs> I had the same exact thought. <laughs> so, so Wrestle Quest has like a very more traditional 16-bit styled art, and then Wrestle Story is more like a, a simplified 3D chibi-ish kind of art. But yeah, two two wrestle based hybrid RPGs. If you're into wrestling and into RPGs, I guess you're eating good <laughs> over the next year or so. So, congrats to all three of you. But yeah, I don't know. It looks fun. It looks charming. It looks quirky. Which I guess if you're making a wrestling RPG, that's kind of what you're going for is the the quirky. Uh, but figured we give that a shout out here. I guess I slotted. I guess I slotted it at the end. I didn't realize it was a new announcement. I thought it was something related to WrestleQuest, but it's not. It's Wrestle Story. So shame on me. All right, here we are. Uh, we're past the three-hour mark, and we have reached the end of the headlines. So uh, that that covers it. We've we've made it. Um, who we knew? Did it. Uh, we survived. Yeah. I, I don't know how. I don't know why this podcast went on for so long. We had no topic. It went on for 
this long. It's fucked up. It was well, we, talk about this week. Well, we we, we kind of went in depth on all on all the different topics from ranging from Ryza to Resident Evil to Wolong to uh, all the release dates. Um, so and all the including all the features up on the site. That was another another good chunk of time for all the different things. Wild Wild Arms, all those different topics that those touched. But yeah. Uh, we made it to the end. Thank you all so much for listening. If you've made it here, uh, we really do appreciate your support. Uh, please do give us uh, any feedback, thumbs up, likes, comments. We love reading all those, uh, whether they're on uh, Spotify or your podcast platform of choice or on our YouTube channel or on the, the site upload. Uh, you can find RPG site on all the social media platforms. You can just search for RPG site on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and you should be able to find us there. Uh, you can join our Discord by hitting the link at the top of our homepage at rpgsite.net or by going to discord.gg slash rpgsite. Uh, it'll be April next week. So we'll be back next week with another edition of the Tetracast as we go into April and talk about all the releases coming out then. Maybe that maybe we'll be looking at War Tales soon or some of the other April releases. Stranger Paradise is coming out early in April for Steam. So maybe I'll be poking at that. Uh, but we will be back next time with who knows what other sorts of topics we'll go into to go through another two or three hour podcast, but we're looking forward to it uh, until you hear from us next time. Stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you guys later. Later, everyone. <laughs>